And I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Now, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast where we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of June 2021, and it is Drinkin' Movie Month. Off the wagon. Uh, <laughs> this, this special event uh, is brought to you by Kyle, uh, who has not had creative control of the show for quite some time, so I felt it would be kind of me to hand the baton off to him for a good solid month. Uh, so, Kyle, what brought us to Drinking Movie Month? Well, I, uh, I d- decided not to uh, drink at all uh, for the past several months, close to a year now, uh, just because I'm in school. And, you know, now that I'm out of school for the summer, I'm like, I'm going to have a few drinks. And uh, one of the first things I wanted to do is I'm like, I'm going to watch my favorite movies that I like to drink along to. Now, there are different shades to that. Uh, one of my favorite, one of my most favorite movies is when I'm, when I'm drunk and I'm not ready to go to sleep. Is Godzilla '98? I don't know what it is about that movie. I usually fall asleep about halfway through, but uh, it's a fun one. But uh, I wanted to like pinpoint some movies that I like to watch while I'm drinking, or if I'm just having like a glass of wine, or I'm gonna have a couple of beers. Just movies you can kind of drink along with the characters. And this one that I picked for to start us out with is one of my favorite uh, drinking along movies because these guys are full blown alcoholics. Uh, it's uh, with Noel. Uh, with Noel and I, and it's spelled With Nail, if you're looking for the title, from 1987, directed by Bruce Robinson. I'm not too familiar with what he's done. I know he did The Killing, Fil- Killing Fields, which is, I think, pretty well known, but not, not much of his other films. Um, and it is a Criterion, surprisingly a Criterion uh, release. Yeah, I think that's how you came across it. Is that right? Uh, yeah, well, I found it. So what I'll look up is like movies to drink along to, and they're, they're awful. It's always like Beer Fest. I'm like, I fucking know. I'm trying to find these types of movies that are just kind of obscure, like fun little gems. Like Sideways is a good one. It's about, you know, Paul Giamatti and that other dude going to vineyards. The, the Sandman. The Sandman, yeah. <laughs> Thomas Hayden Church. Thomas Hayden Church, yeah. And that's kind of a fun one. Uh, I haven't revisited it in a while, but that's kind of a fun one. But yeah, you, they usually give you the heavy heavy hitters like old school I'm like no guys that's not what i'm talking about and this is one that kept popping up and i'm like with no one like what the hell and i kept reading the description i'm like you get different descriptions and it was like ah this doesn't sound like a good time but then i ended up watching it. i think i found it for free on like youtube and i really enjoyed it and i don't know why i really enjoyed it and you don't really know what makes it really watchable either <laughs> we're gonna try to figure yeah that it's out. like it's a curious little movie. Uh, Kyle had recommended this one to me uh, around the time he discovered it uh, some time ago. And I sat down, I devoted you know part of an afternoon to watching it. And for the life of me, I couldn't really put my finger on why it was working. But it, it just did. And uh, upon closer examination, apparently this movie is a kind of a cultural like touchstone for a lot of people. Like This is a really important movie. There's a reason it's in the Criterion Collection. It's been cited as like one of the most quotable uh, British films, uh, which is saying quite a bit, uh, as there are certainly many, many quotable British films out there. But yeah, it's a it's a kind of like a a breezy little movie that I can't really put my finger on where the quality of it comes from. I mean, obviously the performances we have some really solid actors yes. uh, like in our primary cast here, but just the the general flow of the narrative is kind of lazy at times but it just kind of works um if you couldn't hear that folks uh, kyle's <laughs> getting a uh, kyle's getting a head start on drinking movie oh moments. no it's but, actually um, it's a soda water sorry 
Oh, it, it's a boobly, folks. It's just a boobly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, Kyle, I've, I've, I'm not sure if this is an appropriate question. Uh, I'm not going to disclose all the movies we'll be covering for Drink and Movie Month just yet. But um, what would you say the beverage of choice would be uh, in watching with Noel and I and doing a drink along? I think red wine. Uh, I get a nice cab or a nice pinot. This is a red wine movie. Okay, yeah, that seems appropriate given that that's largely the beverage of choice. These guys have diverse, they have a diverse palate, though. Diverse is not the word I would describe it, but it it, it does have a a spectrum. Yes, there is quite a spectrum. It's really what you can get your hands on. Uh, Yeah, this is a red wine kind of movie because if you're... You're sitting and watching because it's very British, and you really have to pay attention to it. I think it's the third time I've watched it, and I'm like, I'm catching things each time I've watched it now because it's it's very British. Yeah, uh, that's something that really jumps out to to both Kyle and I as Americans viewing this film is that the the dialogue, the script for this film is intensely British um, to the extent that there's a lot of colloquialisms in the dialogue that. Um, just the the vocabulary is so radically different from like standard american english that uh out of context a lot of these lines would just go right over my head like mm-hmm. i wouldn't have if i was just to read the script alone without the visual element or the blocking i'd be like what the fuck is he talking about? yeah <laughs> but in context the movie never completely loses you or anything but it is borderline a foreign language film to some extent because there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of colloquialisms and, and slang thrown around that aren't exactly well known to me personally. I think there's some fun use of music in the movie. Uh, I think how we open the movie with the music is good. There's one there's one moment where I think, uh, well, you should probably get into the cast first before we uh, jump into that because it's some of the descriptions I need to give are gonna uh, gonna rely on who's playing who. Uh, do you want to give a uh, a quick uh, uh, summary real quick, Trevor? Since you're uh... I'm taking the reins. Oh yeah, of course, Kyle. This is this is a new thing for me. I've only done this like once before, but it's hard. Uh, so plot, plot it is. I, I, <laughs> now I know after putting you on the spot all these years. Um, uh, plot summary for With Nolan I, uh, and this is off the cuff, folks. I'm not reading this from Wikipedia or something. Um, so we have two actors uh, who are living in the same building together, uh, seemingly across the hall from one another, uh, and they're out of work uh they're a little depressed they're on all of the substances uh and one of them just happens to have a somewhat wealthy uncle who he takes advantage of and uh they head off into the countryside to hang out in a cottage for a while just uh just while they wait to hear back from some auditions they had done for acting gigs uh and then merry mishaps ensue uh, and it's important to note both of these guys are not suited to live no. in the country no. Not at all. <laughs> no. And Mary mishaps ensue. I think this is the one time where that perfectly describes the rest of it, because there are some Mary mishaps. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it, it, there's a lot of little episodes. It, it's almost it's almost like episodic in nature, like once they get out into the countryside. And it needs to be said, too, that the way the script came together, apparently th- this is like semi-autobiographical oh, interesting. on the part of the director. Yeah, uh, it's really fascinating. And uh, apparently um, this was taken from a snapshot of of his own life and he condensed he said about two to three years into two to three weeks interesting Uh, so the events that unfold in the film are meant to take place inside of a month but apparently a a lot of this shit kind of happened to some extent um but it was spread out over a much longer period of time 
The ending of this movie really struck a chord with me. Uh, the first time I watched it, I'm like, wow. Like it had, For me, it was such a powerful ending. And even more so when I watched it again a couple days ago. I'm like, damn, it just gets me every time. It's such a good ending to a movie. Um, but what I'll give us our actors, uh, two of which have appeared in the movie Alien 3. Uh, <laughs> we So we have Richard E. Grant and Paul McGann playing Withnull and I. Richard E. Grant is a Withnull. Love this guy. I can't, I want to watch more like all of his movies. I, I I love him. Good luck with that. He is a prolific actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen I haven't really seen that many of his movies except for like his his uh, small roles in blockbuster films. Mm-hmm. Like he's in Logan and the most recent Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah, yeah, and he's great in both of them. Mm-hmm. Even though he has you know oh, two minutes of screen time, he is fucking Empire. Like he's got Empire look a hundred percent. Yeah. He is a true believer, <laughs> to say the least. But uh, his filmography is very dense. Uh, he he keeps busy for sure. So he, if you want to plow through that filmography, set aside a couple months. He has another Criterion uh, release uh, around the same time. I think it might have been a couple years after uh, that. I've wanted to get to. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's supposed to be a comedy as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Richard E. Grant's are with Noel and I. Now Paul McGann, uh, he isn't really as prolific he's done i mean he's been working but uh i know him from the beginning of three musketeers i mean uh, he's probably one of the most memorable things from that movie um and he played doctor who for a bit i think he came up in maybe queen of the damned or something um he's got presence but you're you're right his his career didn't exactly take off in the same way that richard e grant did at least in terms of obtaining roles um he has screen presence for sure only problem is like his his facial structure makes me think of like David Thewlis, but mm-hmm. not as obnoxious, which yeah, is kind of a liability because David Thewlis is very good at being obnoxious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I will say this much: uh, the fellow was kind of unrecognizable in Alien Three. Oh yeah, like, he's I, I've I've he's, seen that movie tons of times, but I I would never connect the two honestly. He's gross. He's the gross guy, the one that's like we don't want to go out with him. He he fucking stinks or whatever. Yeah, he's unrecognizable in that. Um, Richard Griffiths, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, he plays uh, Uncle Monty, uh, and he is Uncle Vernon from uh, Harry Potter, and oh, he is he is he is really great as Harry Potter's uncle in that in that that series. Uh, he recently passed away. Um, my personal favorite of the film, Ralph Brown, uh, also known as Del Preston. <laughs> you same character. It's the same character. I don't care. It's, it's the fine. same it's character. The same character. Different outfit, but same character. <laughs> he is so hard to understand in this movie. Like, like I was catching things. What are you saying this time? I'm like, oh, that's what he said there. Because the way he talks, it, it, like his mouth doesn't actually close when he talks. Almost. Yeah, nothing comes over this particular range of dialogue. (laughs) That's so perfect. (laughs) Everything is delivered right here up close to his mouth. And there's there's no TH sounds in his mouth. Everything's in it. Spot on. Have you been practicing that one? Because that one's really good. (laughs) No, that came. That was was a, a swing that actually connected so that was on me. that was excellent yeah that sounded just like him uh if you haven't seen he's the he's the hippie from uh wayne's world 2 uh the roadie yeah um michael elphick which i'm not sure if you remember he plays he plays jake in the movie the guy that they think is trying to kill them uh he is the main detective in the element of crime oh yeah wow i didn't put that together but 
yeah, that's a that's a very good movie, and he was very very good in it for sure. Uh, and I want to just pinpoint that uh, this was also produced by George Harrison. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that that's a fun connection. Right. Um, I think we actually had a couple of Beatles we do. Uh, involved. Yeah, we have a couple of Beatles involved in the production, so like behind the scenes kind of stuff. Ringo Starr is listed in the credits under a pseudonym. Um, but not only that, they get very cute with the soundtrack. Yes, they do. Because we do have When My Guitar Gently Weeps yeah, who, uh, on the soundtrack. Yeah, who, who wrote that one, George? They should have thrown it on yeah, the wonder. Garden, too. Yeah, yeah may, maybe the fellow that financed the fucking thing. <laughs> That's your answer. Yeah. Uh, so we'll probably have to go through this one front to back linear just because, you know, that's that's the movie. Um, but yeah, so we're in London, 1969. Again, Austin Powers is running around somewhere. Uh, we're just not sure where. Uh, hide your kids, hide your wife. Yeah. Austin Powers is at large. <laughs> so we've got like a like a bluesy, we have like a bluesy song opening up the film. Uh, and it's a, a weird way, because there's there's not a real way to set the tone. Because the way that we start off seems way more dreary than what the rest of the film gives you. Um, but yeah, we are got this like cool like bluesy live performance going on, and we're just getting getting like shots of this shitty apartment. And um, you can kind of put together that we are post Bender at this point. And we get some dialogue that kind of hints at that too. But we're introduced to uh, we're gonna call him Gerard. Uh, the actor and I, the I part. So Gerard, who is just like, he just does not look well. He's pale, pasty. He just, he's looking sick. And he give we get like some narration at the beginning too. Um, it's kind of useless. And he's kind of does like a little bit of like poetry stuff a little bit or reading like the newspapers. Um, but he's, he mentions like, uh, like 60 hours. Like they've been up for 60 hours at some point. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of little details that I I, I want to put the magnifying glass on here. Yeah. Um, I don't know if any meaning will come out of it, but the reason I wanted to do this is because I watched this movie initially, not this time, but initially completely blind. Mm-hmm. Kyle just said, hey, watch this. I liked it. Yeah. And, you know, I trust Kyle. I was like, sure, why the fuck not? Uh, so I sat down. I had no idea what, what the tone of this movie was going to be. I had no idea what the subject matter was. I had nothing, absolutely nothing. That's kind of rare for me. It's kind of fun, though. Um, so the opening shots of this movie, like Kyle had said, are very, very moody. Like, we have this young guy who has the biggest fucking bags under his eyes. Yeah. Like, like, like purple. Like, his, his eyelids are purple. Like, it looks like he got punched in both his eyes by Mike Tyson or some shit. But he's, like, smoking alone, and we have this, like, piece of jazz music playing, and... and it's it's like a live recorded piece or something because mm-hmm. we have like audience clapping over it, but just like the to quote Joss Whedon texture, texture of 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 the place in which he's sitting, like in this apartment or flat or whatever you want to call it, like there's there's bookshelves all over all over the place. It looks kind of cluttered, although not nearly as much as we'll learn. Like like it seems cluttered now. Oh, just yeah, wait, no. folks. Yeah. <laughs> when when we pull the camera back and we see the rest of this building. That ain't cluttered. This yeah. that is cluttered. Um, but but it feels like it feels like someone just died or something. Yeah. Like his his facial expression was very difficult for for me to read, and it still kind of is because he looks like he's about to burst into tears, and he's like smoking alone, just kind of like pacing around. Uh, and then the first dialogue in the film is him knocking on a neighboring door, 
and this is with Noel he's speaking to, but we don't see him yet. And he's like, I'm going out for some tea. Do you want any? And we just hear like a, no. No. <laughs> oh, I think they have a town. I think it's a townhouse because he's downstairs. The The living room and kitchen are on the second floor. And then later he goes upstairs. So I think that their apartment is a townhouse. I think you're right. Uh, because later on we get some visitors mm-hmm. who help themselves to their bathtub. Yeah. And uh, that, that seems to be downstairs. But we spend the majority of the movie upstairs mm-hmm. um where the i guess the living space is but um yeah just his facial expression and the tone of the music and that that weird dialogue exchanged through the door i was like like are they having a spat or did somebody die what the fuck is going on then he goes out and kyle is this the saddest egg sandwich that's ever been in cinema trevor i've never seen an egg sandwich this sad in my entire life and i've been hung over eating an egg sandwich similar to this and even i take better care than that it's it's awful i think it's just supposed to give you the idea of the quality of the diner also they're sitting he's sitting at a table this must be more common in other countries because they're sitting at a table and there's just a guy sitting opposite of him at like how you and i would go sit out to have dinner together and i'm like he doesn't know that guy i thought that was kind of strange yeah, it's it's communal in a yeah. way that some people would consider cozy. Not not I. Uh, me personally, it's like give me my fucking space. <laughs> like I'm I'm here to be alone. In fact, I wouldn't do that. I would I just wouldn't go to a place alone. I need I need accompaniment. <laughs> yeah, Amer- Americans are chatty, so we don't get us. Yeah, don't sit me with strangers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but th- truly, folks, um, this is maybe the saddest egg sandwich that has ever been, like in film or otherwise. This yeah. this made me depressed. This made me disgusted. It's not even toasted bread. It's just a piece of white bread with a runny egg on it. Yeah. It's yeah, it's two slices of white bread with with a runny ass fried egg that it's just like completely immersed in oil. Like like this egg is 80% oil. No. And and it's not even all the way cooked through. (laughs) No. So for folks that aren't familiar, Trevor is not a drinker. Uh, He's never been a drinker. Uh, So you've never experienced a hangover. You will, you will like fall on your knees and worship an egg sandwich that looks like that after a really bad hangover because i was looking at it i'm like oh that's not looking very good but i'm like but i've i've been to where that looks good (laughs) when that does look good yeah Uh, that's important to note for sure uh some of the a lot of the decision making in this film is certainly uh, bolstered by the alcohol alcohol blood content uh, for, for a lot of these characters but yeah, we get an entire close-up devoted to this egg sandwich being formed, and it's very intentional because I, or Marwood, or Gerard, as Kyle's probably going to call him, yeah. he's just sitting in here, and I don't even know if he's ordered anything. He's just trying to read the paper, and some of these articles, again, got my brain like wondering, like, what is this movie about? Because yeah. like the headline that he's reading is about somebody wanting, like, a sex change. wanting to get a sex change. Yeah. And then his his facial expression made me think, like, does he want that for himself? Is like, is he projecting? Is he jealous of that? I, I don't know. And then, then there's like an article about like a, a sexual like triest or something going on involving an au pair, but his uh, internal monologue, like it, I think the broad strokes of it are basically like he can't stand being in society. Everything's, everything's ugly. But then the last thought he has, and he verbalizes this on the soundtrack is like, I must go and speak with Withnal about his affairs. <laughs> like, and and it's interesting because later on in the film he does use the phrase like "we're obsessed with each other" in reference to Withnal and himself. Uh, so it, it's almost like he's trying. This is his attempt to like push away 
from that bubble, from that comfort zone of being with his best buddy. Um, and he retreats from it at the sight of this this kind of haggard-looking woman biting into this nasty egg sandwich. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I would leave if I saw that, too, if I keyed in on exactly that moment of that person's dining experience. It's fucking disgusting. It's pretty gross, it's- yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he goes back to, uh, he goes back to get Withnal, and uh, I think this is where we're finally introduced to him and all of his uh, glory, because he is... I don't. How do you describe him? How his demeanor? Like, he's someone who should like who should be a thespian, who is a thespian in the movie, and continues to act as though he is on stage. That's the best way I can describe it. No, I couldn't say it better. Um, he basically is in acting mode all the time. Every yeah. everything is heightened. Everything everything is about himself and his own concerns. Uh, even his body language is very dramatic. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's always very upright. He's always kind of trying to command the room or be the center of attention. Um, and even uh, Richard E. Grant's height uh, lends some yeah. assistance to to playing that role because uh, next to our, next to our I or Marwood or whatever you want to call him, uh, he's quite a bit taller than him. And and his dress, like he he looks like kind of like anachronistic or something. Like he doesn't fit in. And in fact, like a lot of this movie doesn't quite fit because one thing that i guess i uh, gets pointed out a lot about this film is that it is an 80s film um but a lot of people forget that because it feels so much like a 60s or 70s film and it's supposed to take place in 69 so i guess they did a good job but yeah his dress makes him stand out quite a bit from everyone else in the film for sure mm-hmm. um but yeah every time he walks into the room like he's either in, he's in like one of two modes it's like one is him trying to give a performance to everybody who will hear it and then the other is just like completely manic and depressed <laughs> and, and like cre- like crestfallen about whatever petty shit he has going on in his life usually involving a headache or a lack of food or something yeah so we learned that they're uh, post bender they've been on at least a 60 hour bender because they haven't had any- anything to eat he does at one point he spits up something he's like ugh, nothing but a potato a piece of raw potato only thing i've had in 60 hours uh, he sticks out his tongue, and his tongue is all yellow. And I'm like, I'm guessing he was puking bile. That's the only thing I could really come up with. It's yeah, it, that would be my guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these two have clearly been uh, drinking and not sleeping uh, so much so that they, I guess, haven't bothered to get food for themselves. And what's curious about that is that money doesn't seem to be all that much of an issue going throughout the movie like for certain things like large expenses yeah it is but like later on we do see them like casually go to pubs and restaurants and stuff and just like order food so i guess they've just been too caught up in their own horse shit to feed themselves yeah so they uh well trevor it's not so much that. <laughs> uh, so uh, they're i'm tr- trying to start so um gerard is in like pain like he's just like you, I, I could feel what he's going through. He's going through withdrawals, <laughs> is what he's basically going through, and he's not handling it very well. Uh, and he actually goes to make coffee, which is like one of the last things you want when you're going through a withdrawal. Now, I'll, I'll, full disclosure: the most I've ever drank, like going like back to back, is I drink uh, heavy moderately one day, and then heavy moderately the second day. And I've never gone past two days in a row, like, drinking heavily. So, 
they've gone they've been drinking heavily and they've been drinking heavily for a while and I can't imagine what kind of agony he's in and he doesn't seem like he's very used to it because even Rupert E. Grant's like eat some sugar like just fucking deal with it dude like I don't really give a shit <laughs> yeah uh, you can you can surmise that one of these two is a little bit more experienced than the other yes. when it comes to abusing their bodies <laughs> yes. um, but some interesting details about the blocking here is that um, Gerard uh, put on a tea kettle like on the stove before he went out he just left it on. Yeah. Smart. Oh, he he yeah. also likes... Oh, go. Because your brain is fried at this point, dude. Like, you're, you're just like, you're dumb the next day. Or two days later. So he actually... I caught it, too. He lights the kettle. He sets it on. And he still has the match lit. Still holding it. I'm like, yeah. yeah. It's just little things like that. You're right. Yeah, that was an interesting acting choice. Like, because we do actually key in on that. Where he's just holding the the match until it nearly burns his fingers and it's like i'm not entirely sure what that meant but it was certainly something that jumps out at you but yeah he sets up the kettle and he, he goes out to watch that woman eat that disgusting egg sandwich i don't think he ordered anything but he comes back uh i guess he heated up the water for something and uh the stove is kind of smoking and then withnell does this thing that i absolutely can't stand mm. it's when when people insist on talking over you while reading something like they have to read some they want to show you something they they want to share something to you but it's only if it's something they're reading out loud that bothers me or it's like you or you could just hand it to me and I could read it and actually retain the information as opposed to you like belting out every line of some boring ass news article about a shot putter going nuts and like I guess like coming out of jail or something it's completely inane dialogue but it it adds like a layer of tension because we were focused on Marwood kind of like pacing around the kitchen trying to find whatever the fuck um and withnell's just kind of like lording over him like bellowing all these lines from from this newspaper article that i don't think anybody cares about except him except i think he's treating it like a script basically like he's he's looking at the lines being presented to him and trying to find the the cadence and the meter in which to deliver them to be entertaining to himself we need to describe the anxiety so for me there was two parts to this like one i I haven't been as quite as miserable as he is in like in this scene, but we got to talk about the kitchen and also like the way this is shot. It feels claustrophobic while they're talking because it it there it's just a crammed space. But yeah, let's describe this kitchen. Um, I've never seen anything like it <laughs> uh, aside from hoarders. I think that's the only the only time I've seen something like clips from hoarders. Th th I mean. We've got, but first of all, we've got beer bottles. We have empty liquor bottles, liqueur bottles, wine bottles. Just any any flat surface is covered with empty bottles. But you want to describe the sink? Oh God! So this is this is any old sink that? <laughs> yeah, it in as many words. Uh, so basically, the sink is piled up above Marwood's head with basically, dishes. yeah. And they're all clumped up with grime and, and all sorts of shit. Um, so much so that you can't see a sink there. It just looks like everything's piled up onto the counter. And at one point, he starts to claim that there's something alive in there. Mm -hmm. And we get this little episode where the two of them, like Withnell is trying to be the, the strong one of the group here. Because Marwood is kind of like manic and acting like a scared child here. Because yeah. like, that's the demeanor they, they assume 
in this particular exchange where he's kind of hunched over he's clutching his stomach complaining that he's in a great deal of pain meanwhile with milk does not give a fuck no. like he's too busy uh just holding what? court and having yeah. and staging some sort of performance about inane bullshit yeah uh, and uh yeah, this the mess in this sink is like you would look at it like the next day waking up you look at it and you'd have to consider moving like i'm not doing this like it's too much work i do not want to clean this yeah, I, I would sooner just open the window and throw, throw it all out. out. Yeah, like yeah. I don't want to clean any of this because it's so far gone to the point that's like I don't think you can salvage that, and I might, <laughs> I might kill myself inhaling whatever I unearth from there. Like whatever is is living and growing under all that shit is not healthy for my lungs. I just want to throw all that out the window and call it good. It's evictable. Yeah, you should be evicted. <laughs> if, if a landlord's no, I, I mean yeah. to to quote aliens, the only solution is to nuke the entire site from orbit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the uh, only way to be sure, Kyle. <laughs> with uh, Withnell is funny. Uh, he does have a moment here. So uh, Gerard gets uh, he makes. Gerard makes a cup of coffee in a bowl with a spoon, and he's sitting on the couch slurping it, and Withnell just is kind of like still doing his thing, and then finally he notices what he's doing. He's like, what are you drinking? What is that? Soup? Why didn't I get any? <laughs> he's like, it's coffee. <laughs> well, then use a, use, a, use a cup. But I love his like, why didn't I get any? Like, he's just so upset by it. Well, I mean, he's he's very self-centered in this moment, and I think it's very appropriate that during this introduction sequence where were introduced to with no he this is like the one time in the movie where he's like cleaned up mm-hmm. like like he has his hair yeah. slick he has yeah, his yes, hair yes, slicked yes, yeah. back yeah he has his hair slicked back he's got a comb in hand he's he's kind of he's in a, a dominant position here and he's not always in that position but like i said he he's accusatory of him being like why didn't i get any soup because he's he's kind of assuming that like all my shit's the most important like yeah. Like, why didn't you make me soup? I'm the one who deserves soup. I'm fucking with Noel. But um, they make a little, like, it almost feels like when I was a kid, like, playing on the playground. They make a little mission. Like, they, they create a little yeah. drama for themselves uh, trying to attack the sink. And it's very amusing because, like Kyle said, the cinematography here is very claustrophobic. And the intensity level of the actors is ratcheted up in such a way that you kind of, like, buy into it. Mm-hmm. Like, like Marwood is convinced that something is growing and living in their sink. And he's like, don't get close to it. It'll bite you. And Withnell's trying to be... <laughs> I'll the, do it, like, yeah. T- yeah. Yeah, he's trying to be the tough big brother. Be like, no, I'll get in there. I'll I'll bash its head in. But at one point, like, Marwood puts on, like, a kitchen gloves and, and like, feebly tries to reach in there into the sink. It's like, dude, you're not getting in there. No. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, you can make an effort, but it ain't going to work out. But... Well- uh, spoiler alert, they do not clean the sink. They do not clean the sink. <laughs> and we, we bounce back and forth like we're in the apartment, down the diner, back in the apartment, go for a walk, back in the apartment, back to the bar. So from what I gather from this this whole situation is they're out of booze and they can't go get booze until the bar opens. So they have to basically kill time until that happens. Yeah, that's like literally the only reason they go for a walk Yeah, is because... Uh, apparently the sink was too much for either of them to handle so they they go out and like you said it's too early so they just hang out in the park which uh, we will revisit uh, at the very end of the film Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess they they go back home and I I don't know what was Withnell rubbing himself down with I don't know what he was trying to if he was trying to absorb something to his I think he was cold and he's like I'm gonna put this on and stand by the radio is it like icy hot or something I I don't know what he was trying to do I think 
he's he's been like you said like he's more experienced in heavy drinking uh, than Gerard seems to be because he seems to just be like kind of going with the rolling with rolling with it like yeah I'm in agony right now I'm fucking dealing with it but he's a bit more off in that he tries to drink lighter like he drinks lighter fluid uh, that's what I believe it is uh, and then pukes immediately because you're not supposed to drink that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. He, he's just, yeah, he's in a robe in his underwear and he is disgusting to look at. <laughs> just his, his, uh, his tidy whiteies and his distribution of pasty pale whiteness and his, his, uh, body hair. It's just like, he's not a dude you want to see, <laughs> see with his, uh, with his, uh, body showing basically. No, he, he does not have a, a flattering body. No. Like it, it's it's not his selling point, just no. put it that way. But, but I mean, he's he but, is wiry, though. He's, he's wiry, <laughs> but uh, on top of that, he's put on whatever white uh, lotion or whatever ointment. So he just looks super gross like that. Yeah, I, I love that when he, he finishes rubbing himself down, like he just tosses the can on the yeah. floor. He's like, I'm sorry, there's no more left for you. <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's like, what an asshole. Because yeah. we see him cover every inch of his body. It's like, you could have done like half or like 80% or something. But no, he's like, nope, sorry, there's no more left. Um, he's very self-centered. He's very self-involved. But um, I think it is interesting to point out that Marwood... Um, has these episodes every now and again where he's delivering narration uh, like Kyle had pointed out he does that very early in the film uh, and several several times throughout the film we revisit that um, and at one point Monty does uh, ask him are you a poet and he says oh no I just have thoughts and stuff but part of me was thinking like like if you if you listen to the the words that are being spoken during these narration scenes it's like dude you are a poet yeah. you're just not acknowledging yeah. that you're a poet and you don't know it. Yeah, and I I guess this uh, script was based off of an unpublished novel by the director. Like I said, it is semi-autobiographical, so I would be curious, like, maybe he is a poet and maybe these were actually just excerpts from, like, I don't know, journals he kept or something during yeah. this stretch of time. I can see that. Because uh, it is very artful stuff. It, it's kind of like a lot of it comes across as, like, non-sequiturs where it's like... A, not entirely sure how this is relevant, but the, the word choice is artful and, and pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes we do see this character like reading books and, and kind of, I don't know, fiddling around in a journal in his alone time, which is very seldom in the movie. But yeah, well, with Noah's uh, prancing around all looped up with his lighter fluid, uh, that's what Marwood is doing. I think he's just buried in a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he is a little bit more stable a little bit more grounded than withnell uh who seems to really kind of swing for the fences when it comes to like ratcheting up the tension of like the the drama of his existence um it's the kind of thing where it's like kyle had said he he's definitely he has the presence of an actor he has he has the mannerisms he certainly has the ability to be a grand actor i just think he's too lazy to go out and get a gig he has too much of an (laughs) ego because he says understudy like I'm not going to be an understudy to the lead. I'm like, well, that's still a pretty big deal. I, yeah, that that's getting your foot in the door to you know potentially getting that lead or getting a role on the same production. Yeah, um, we should talk about their family because it's something that kind of comes up, but it's kind of like we never really find out. I think that they're both well. I think they both come well. At least Withnell comes from a well-off family. I think that's pretty clear. Um, but they don't really approve of him being an actor, apparently. Um, but I think Gerard probably comes from some money as well. 
because uh, she said, why don't you ask your father? Like, I feel like they're both kind of rich. I, I think it has to be the case because mm-hmm. um, they have access to a lot of stuff. Like I said, curiously, despite them both being out of work for a very long time, uh, they just have pocket money to, to go to the pub and get food whenever they feel like it. It's just they don't remember to all the time because they're too mm-hmm. fucking strung out on whatever the fuck. Um, and when we do get to the end of the film, um, <laughs> I actually had like a I had a reaction to that where uh, Marwood is packing up his stuff. And he just says casually that his dad will come to pick up all the boxes from from their apartment together. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, normally I would do that, but okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he also says, oh, yeah, and he'll take care of the car as well. So it's like they do have a safety net. It's just that they're intentionally, I guess, pulling away from it. It's, it's a like Jaguar rebelling too. against it. It's not a. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's an old Jaguar, but still a Jaguar, man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we get to the we finally get to the bar, and oh, so the, oh, the reason why they're never eating, Trevor, is because they're full blown alcoholics. You don't you don't really eat much. You just it's not that you forget. It's just like you don't want to. That's gonna soak up the booze. It's a waste of money. Um, <laughs> plus, you start pickling your insides. Your body's just like, yeah, we don't need food. Dude. Just just more booze and maybe like a bag of chips. Uh, but they go to the bar, and he orders two, I think, two double gins and two ciders. And ice in the ciders. Now, gin is disgusting. That's just my personal preference. I don't, I don't like gin. It's not very good. Uh, but there's no consistency with what they're drinking. But ice in the ciders. Now, hard cider is pretty delicious, especially uh, British hard ciders. They're really tasty. But I've never heard of anybody putting ice in the ciders. Yeah, I mean, you're the expert here. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of strange uh, drinking choices done in this movie. Like, like Kyle had mentioned up top, a lot of it does come across as just like whatever we got. Like, whatever's available in this particular venue, we'll take it. All of it. <laughs> um, uh, it seems like wine is preferred, but we don't always have wine. It's just whatever's there. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I think, like you said, uh, Withnell has a refined palate, but he's also a crippling alcoholic. Like, it's he's pretty bad. Because uh, he's definitely just chugging, sneaking, sneaking uh, shots <laughs> at his uncle's house. Um but yeah, I don't know how long this bar has been open, but apparently not for very long. But uh, Gerard goes to the bathroom, and some guy calls him a gay slur. Uh, I looked it up, and I'm not sure if we're allowed to say it. Uh, it's a British gay slur, so I'm not. I'm not gonna say it. I don't know if that's gonna offend anybody. Um, but this dude has polished off six British pints, so it's 20 ounces, six 20 ounce beers. <laughs> and, and like, I don't know how long this bar has been open, but it has not been open for six hours. I can tell you that much. <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure their intention was to arrive there pretty much at opening. And by the way, this place is it's bopping. Like, like <laughs> there's quite a few people in here, so it tells you what what's going on in this corner of the town. I was in San Diego for my 21st birthday, uh, and my buddy's like, "Dude, let's go out." I'm like, "Dude, it's fucking nine o'clock in the morning." He's like, "There's bars open." I'm like, it, it, "There's not many bars open." We went to a bar. This place was popping with people who do not have jobs drinking <laughs> that's the best way to put it I'm like, it looked like that bar i'm like this is a full bar like we got to try to get a seat in here it was insane we had one drink there we didn't stay there yeah you don't want to stay at that no. <laughs> get in get out yeah. but um you'll offend the regulars but <laughs> um but yeah this fella uh he i don't think i don't think it's that bad of a slur or anything because okay. it's like that's my opinion on it. I'm still not going to go into yeah, it. Yeah, I'm but not going to say it. I've I've heard this used to reference things that didn't involve like 
gay people or anything. It's just it's it's a word you can just I, throw. I think it's had multiple. It probably has a few different meanings, but that was one of them that popped up. So it, it's one that I'm sure has transformed. The meaning has transformed over the over the decades and centuries. Probably. Um, but uh, yeah, this man has an intense unibrow. Um, yes. And he is very inebriated, and he approaches both of our heroes at the bar. And I like that Withnil uses his silver tongue to try to talk his way out of a, a physical conflict with this guy. Because yeah. this, this guy just has beef with them just because. Because, yeah. Just Yeah, he just caught a whiff of something he didn't yeah. like, and he can't let it go. Yeah. Well, he's got perfume on his shoes because Withnil puked on his shoes, and he walked by. And then I, I like how it's giving him anxiety while he's peeing. He's like, what did I do to offend him? Like... Well, what am I supposed to do? He's going to beat the shit out of me. Like, he's super scared. Yeah. And Withnal, uh, he confronts the two of them. And Withnal's like, tries to act all tough. And then when he realizes that's not going to work, he's just like, well, whatever problem you have, it's with my associate, not me. So I think the two of you should go outside and deal with it. <laughs> like, you fucking yeah. dick. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I have a heart condition. If you hit me, I'll die. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you'll be liable. And he's like, I have a wife. She's going to have a baby. <laughs> and he's just coming up with any excuse he can. And of course, you know, it it doesn't end in conflict. It ends with both of them running away like like fucking little children on the playground, yeah. honestly. Like like that's the kind of shit that I would do when I was a little kid or something. But um <laughs> I was half expecting someone into this pub to yell out, Kick his ass, sea bass. Kick his ass, sea bass. <laughs> um, while they're in the bar though, he mentions like, Hey, we should um it's kinda of funny the exchange. He's like, Hey, we should get out of town for a little bit and Withnall's like, Yeah, it's a good idea. Well, well, he doesn't realize that uh, Gerard is asking him to talk to his uncle. So Withnall's like, "All right, talk to him." He's like, "Well, what's his number?" He's like, "Well, how the fuck should I know?" I'm like, "Your uncle?" Like, "Oh, my uncle." Yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, and oh, by the way, Withnall pounded this cider while uh, Gerard was in the bathroom. I'm talking two minutes flat. This twenty ouncer is gone. Oh yeah, no, he he was in a hurry. Like yeah. he's like, oh, I don't have to open my mouth to talk to anyone for the next ten seconds. Well, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, we have a, a brief exchange here in their in their mutual restroom. Uh, it's in a it's a bathtub, I think. Marwood's shaving himself yeah. in the tub, and this is again one of the saddest tubs I've seen in cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, so saddest egg sandwich, saddest tub. Like from certain angles, it looks like this this grown man is sitting in a large sink on the floor yeah no it is a tub but (laughs) i think we're led to believe that where they live is kind of slummy because when they go outside there's like construction going on it's not a nice area so i'm assuming this place that they live in is pretty cheap yeah uh, but what's kind of funny here is like i i can't recall exactly what the dialogue was here but the blocking is really funny because we have marwood eating his lunch while he's shaving in the tub um and by the way every glass surface in their in their building is covered with photos like photo collages uh, including the one he's using to shave himself um it's an interesting production design choice a lot of a lot of this reminds me of like terry gilliam stuff um just the the, the clutter in in their residence not so without much the, the dutch ang- without the dutch angles yeah without the ugly cam uh, shoved up into everybody's nostrils and stuff but um he's eating lunch in the in the tub and then Withnal comes in and he declares that it's dinner, so I guess Marwood lost track of time or something. But at the end of the conversation, Withnal gets up off the toilet, which he was using as a chair, and he just like throws this big wad of newspaper into the toilet. I'm like, dude, that is not good. Like, that's just that's not gonna, gonna flush. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's not smart. But 
I mean, if you look at the state of the rest of their building, it's like I don't think these people care too much about like hawking a loogie onto their oriental rug on the floor. Maybe maybe they are from from wealth to the point where they had um, <clears throat> servants, so they don't know how to pick up after themselves. Like it's just something that they don't do. <laughs> I mean, maintenance does not seem to be something that either of them is terribly, you know, no. interested in. Uh, um, yeah. But they're going to go over to Uncle Vernon's house, but they got to get ready. And Danny is, oh yeah, by the way, Danny's here. And Danny is uh, Ralph Brown, Del Preston. Um, he's sitting on the couch. He's very small. Uh, I never realized how small he is. Like, he's very little short and skinny guy. Yeah, fun, fun Easter egg. So apparently uh, David Fincher attempted to reunite most of the cast members of this film in Alien 3. Uh, so we have the fellow that played Marwood. Richard E. Grant um, was supposed to be in the film, but he turned it down. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Targaryen or whatever? Uh, Charles Dance, yeah. Charles, he was supposed to play that role. Uh, I think Charles Dance was a better choice. I think he could play the As warden. As do I. I think the warden would have been a better choice. I don't know. I like that guy's voice, and I like his yeah. heft. Yeah, he does. <laughs> like he's Ooh. the only fat man in that movie and it works really well what's the guy's name 47 uh 85 85 yeah ralph I've... brown portrays 85 in yeah. uh in alien 3 yeah um so so that was an intentional casting decision on the part of david fincher but it didn't quite come together you got two of them almost three ah. um but yeah it, like that's maybe the other significant role I know of for, for Ralph Brown. But yeah, he is surprisingly tiny in, in this. Or maybe Richard E. Grant is very tall. I think he's uh, I super tall. Maybe that's what it is. Cause uh, I'm not gonna, entirely certain. Because Paul McGann is really short compared to him as well. Um, but yeah, the Danny, I don't even know. Like Danny's just there. Um, <laughs> he's just kind of just talking and just doing his, his thing. Um, and he... he Tries to sell them, like, he's like, I've got nothing, but then, like, Withnell's, Withnell's just kind of, like, picking a fight with him. Like, he's just not in the mood for him. He's a little catty, and he's also sour because he's trying to repair his shoe during the whole conversation. Yes, he is. Uh, he, yeah, the one thing that's kind of cute about the, the way this movie is scripted is that it's a, it has good attention to detail in terms of, like, continuity between gags and whatnot. Because mm. he does mention that his shoe is coming apart, and he uses that as like an example of his his life not being in the right place yeah where he's like i'm almost 30 and i like i have a, i have my soul slipping off of my shoe and i can't get an acting gig to save my life um and then of course this is where we're introduced to the i think the the urine gadget which comes up yeah at least three times in the movie and it is paid off it's kind of cool in that way and same with the like the the wellingtons as they call them the, the wellingtons yes um, we're, we're introduced to the concept of using uh, plastic bags as as foot covers um, via the farmer guy, but then only like a scene or two later we see our two heroes adopt that because they're too dumb to have brought boots with them to a very muddy countryside. Um, so there's a lot of that going on with the script, and it's, it's very tight in that way. But I have no fucking clue what Danny is going on about throughout most of his scenes, but he... It's not so much what he's saying, it's how he says it that makes it entertaining. Mm -hmm. um, but let me float this by you, Kyle. Um, like, he kind of makes me think of Mike Shank, but British. Mike so Mike Shank, Shank American movie Mike Shank. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could you, like, pick up my soda and, and uh, put it on the tarp? Because, like, I don't want it to be cold. <laughs> he does have a burnt... He, he does play burnt out really well. but it's because it, His he, brain is fried. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a bit... Uh, what's his name? Danny in the movie. Yeah, he's... I think he's not really doing anything. He's not even stopping by for anything. But I do like how they try to play him. Like, he's like, yeah, I don't have anything. And uh, Withel's like, I could take whatever. I could take double whatever you can. And uh, uh, Gerard kind of is like, oh, no, you couldn't possibly do that. Like, they're kind of playing him, trying to get a free drug. But he ends up saying no. Uh, and he says something mean to him, too. And Danny's just like, well, you didn't have to say that, dude. Like, it's a, it's a funny little exchange between the three of them. Yeah, and one thing of folks at home especially our uk listeners and and or irish listeners um there there's probably some stuff that kyle and i aren't privy to uh, when it comes to the like the intricacies of the script in this film because there there are talks of politics in this movie um and this the story does take place in 1969 like this is something that i mentioned earlier that it was shot in the 80s but very intentionally they do have an on-screen subtitle saying 1969. So I have to imagine that's of some consequence to the story. And in casual conversation between all the characters, they do mention politics from time to time. Uh, there's a lot of mention of uh, the Labor Party, which uh, being an, a you know dumb American, I don't know the origins or the history of the Labor Party in the UK. Um, but it seems like there's maybe a general disdain of it among many of the characters in this film. Uh, so apologies if if there's like a really important fucking plot point or something that we weren't aware of that we glossed over or something but um it is something that is mentioned uh during this sequence but yeah uh danny danny's just this kind of enigmatic character that swings into the story only a couple of times um but the movie just kind of stops dead to, to just like adopt his tone and his flow of conversation um I found it really entertaining, even if I didn't entirely understand what the fuck was going on. No, he's he's a very entertaining guy. Like just as this character, he's very funny. Um, he he's more he's more important to the end of the movie. I think he has a he has a, a line or two that like kind of plays into the ending that I think is good. Uh, but let's meet Uncle Vernon. Oh, not Uncle uh, Monty. Vernon. Uh, Monty, yeah, I put the wrong one there. Yeah, sorry. Well, I mean, they're both uncles, right? Yeah, <laughs> Uncle Monty. Monty. Uh, so they do. They do come to visit uh, Withnell's uncle Monty, uh, expressly for the purpose of basically gaining access to his country cottage. Because, like I said, these guys haven't been working for a while. Uh, they do seem like they have a safety net, like at least financially speaking, uh, so they can afford to be out of work for all that all that time. And they just kind of out of the blue decide, hey, we want to go hang out in the countryside because we ain't got shit going on here. Um, and Uncle Monty's, like, his foyer, or whatever you want to call it, is uh, dramatic, uh, to say the least. Like, the way it's laid out, like, it is ornate, it is antiquated, it looks like it hasn't been dusted in quite some time. However, there is so much plant life strewn about. Like, many, many plants in, in this, like, mansion study area. Like, he, he has money. No, no, these are vegetables. He's growing vegetables. <laughs> they give, yeah, uh, there's yeah. actually a scene when they're leaving the house. He's got, like, cauliflower just sitting, like, outside the house, like, on the on the sill. Uh, and almost, it seems 
oddly carpeted. Like, it seems mostly carpeted in this room that they're hanging out in. Um, I, I get... This guy's really funny. Uh, this character kind of gets a little bad near the end, but he's, he's a funny, uh, funny guy. But yeah, he... Uh, they all have a sherry, and uh, they're talking about their careers a little bit. Um... And then I think he gets mad at the cat, and that's when Withnal like turns around and chugs some whiskey real quick, just like starts pounding it. Uh, he's doing shots and chugging whiskey just throughout this whole scene, which is very, straight from the very, bottle. <laughs> yeah, straight from the bottle. Um, he's got a problem. A little bit. Um, but part of what's fun about that, though, is that you can see that they are relations. Yeah. Like there are some similarities in their behavior. Like they're both very self-involved. Uh, they both like their booze and their wine for sure. Um, and they both kind of like fly into these rages out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like they have these intense mood swings. Like all of our characters actually in the story kind of do, except maybe Danny. He's pretty chill. Yeah. Even when he's being threatening, he's still kind of chill. But with Noel and, and Marwood, they both kind of like fly out into these kind of like bipolar episodes. And um, in both of their cases, they seem to get depressive, but... Um, in Monty's case, he gets pissed off at this fucking cat. Yes, <laughs> like this cat is... he wants to, he wants to murder it on at least two separate occasions. It's the bane of his existence. Yeah. Uh, big thing with uh, Monty is he has a huge bulbous, uh, bloodshot, uh, red nose, which is a pretty big indicator that he is a full blown alcoholic. Oh yeah, no, he he's pretty sloshed throughout the entire movie, um, and. What, what I thought was interesting about this performance is that uh, they take advantage of his girth, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because that cinematography that Kyle had mentioned earlier uh, in the apartment, like in the kitchen area, it is very claustrophobic. And there are moments where he's supposed to be intimidating and threatening. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the guy's face, he's, he he's looks like a cartoon character. He does, and he's a yeah. massive He's a massively talented actor. Um but they take advantage of, of the size differential between him and a lot of the other characters because the guy just takes up fucking space. He's big, yeah. Um, it, yeah, and when he, when just like simple things like walking around a table, like maneuvering around his environment, like he's always just kind of like this fucking close to knocking everything over. Um, and they take advantage of that with some of the blocking and some of the cinematography later on in the film. But uh, it does need to be sa- said that uh, it's known to both of our heroes that he's gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that Marwood is uh, a little wary of um, because it seems like some advances may be thrown his way at some point. Um, and he's absolutely right. Yes. Um, although we do learn that um, Monty was tipped off by Withnell. Like there, there was a little bit of a lie uh, that was mm-hmm. slipped out there that like, oh, hey, my friend Marwood might be interested in you. And he was using that as incentive words like, oh, I have a good friend who might be interested in you. But that cottage of yours, like, like maybe we could all meet up there together or something. Like, maybe that, maybe that's something we can make happen. But we don't know that at this point. All we know that is, oh, we don't know that that's what the exchange was. It was, um, can we get the key to your place, basically? And that's what uh, Gerard is under the impression of. Um, do you think it's important now to mention the uh, the 1967 act? Because it seemed go it, go it, ahead, man. I mean, you you went to the trouble to look into it. Why well, not? Uh, so yeah, apparently in 1967 there was the Sexual Offenses Act, which uh, legalized homosexual acts in England and Wales on the condition that they were consensual in private between two men who had obtained the age of 21. Reading that from Wikipedia, I don't know anything about it. This is just uh, it's, 
I want to mention for this part of the story because this is what he tells um, his uncle was that uh, Gerard has gotten in trouble before for uh, lewd acts in a in a bathroom, uh, and this is in 1969, so it's two years after like that's been passed. So it seems that Uncle Monty has been pretty much closeted his whole whole life, um, and yeah, now that he's now that he knows that there's a young gentleman who might be interested in him, he is going to pounce at the opportunity. Quite literally. Yeah, I mean, yeah <laughs> for real. I mean, that, that, nothing that large should move that fast. But oh. yeah, he can put he can put the hustle on when he needs to. It is un, uh, That scene is unsettling. Like, <laughs> it's scary. It's unsettling. It's unsettling, but it's a it's kind of a credit to the film that it doesn't feel out of place. Yeah. Like, it's still tonally consistent. Um, and again, th- this this. Griffiths fella, a very very talented actor. Yes. I mean he he is he is very aware of of himself, like his his body, his physicality, and like his line deliveries and stuff. Like it's kind of interesting because a lot of this movie is shot pretty in kind of basic angles and lighting and whatnot. But then we get to him, and you can tell like the DP and 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 our director probably were just like, oh wow, we could do a lot of fun shit with this guy, because mm-hmm. <laughs> like some like the way he lowers his brow, like he he goes from looking like a fucking muppet uh, to looking like a terrifying monster or something that you really don't want to be in the same building with. But um, yeah, no, he he's excited, but this is a this is not information that's disclosed to us, the audience, until a little bit later, but. Uh, we get a needle drop pretty much immediately following this in the form of uh, Jimmy all along the Watchtower. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Jimi Hendrix rendition of it, and uh, we hit the road, and all of a sudden the movie turns into Tommy Boy for a minute. Yeah. minus uh, minus selling brake pads. Yeah, <laughs> no. Uh, Withnell is drinking whiskey in the side. He's super excited. He's in the passenger seat drinking, yelling at girls getting out of school, uh, yelling at some guy waiting for the bus. Uh, and then he's just like belligerently going on. He's like, I'm going to have a doze. Uh, and he's got the P this is where he explains the P apparatus. He, he did bring it with him. Um, and he has, we have one wiper blade. Uh, it's important to know because we are, we get into what's he called a gale. Like we're in a gale. So they're going to yeah. Penrith, which is five hours North of London. So it's a, it's quite a hike. That's quite a drive, especially in this car. Cause I don't think this car goes above 60, 65. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it's the the p gadget was a, a funny little episode here because at the time we we the audience are just like well that was nice like i'm not entirely sure what that was all about but it do, it does come back later on but basically it's explained to us that a uh, withnell has a, a little like pea bladder that he he needs to obtain some some children's urine uh some fresh untainted urine uh, so in case he's pulled over or something, yeah. uh, he can he can let loose the bladder and uh, basically he's like this is a a hundred percent guaranteed way to get out of any traffic stop. <laughs> Just insist on the urine test, but make sure you have some fresh untainted child child yeah. urine on hand. I had that like a lot of vagina moment. Like excuse me, like because he's like I need to find a <laughs> child. I'm like what? Well, I didn't catch that before. It's like I need his urine. I'm like oh yeah for clean pee. Okay that makes sense. Uh, don't don't lead with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Go into your local grocery. I need a child. I need a child. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they get into a, a Jurassic Park level uh, rainstorm. Yeah. There. Actually, the the shots inside the car did make me think of of the Ford Explorer shots mm-hmm. um, prior to the T Rex rampage. You see, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Jeff Golden like wiping the uh, 
wiping the fog off the inside of the car. I mean, it really did look kind of yeah. similar. Um, um, but yeah, with no sleeps through most of the drive, I don't think he. I don't think he hopped behind the wheel once. We do no. learn later he doesn't have a license. So, and nor is he, you know, fit to drive. Yeah. But uh, what's interesting about uh, all this time that Marwood is driving, though, is that between being behind the wheel and arriving at the cottage in the country, uh, he seems a little bit more sober. Like he's not for sure, but he his demeanor comes across as more focused and less less manic, I guess, and more commanding for sure. Um, but yeah, they get into the cottage and they have to like light an oil lamp uh, to to light the place. It's it's very much out in the country. Yeah. Um, and the first order of business is uh, getting a fire going, which good fucking luck with that uh, given the torrential downpour outside yeah i like the chore this is where the chores uh they have a really interesting way of like divvying up chores and the one is like uh i said like, i have to get stuff ready in here you have to go find firewood and withnell goes out and finds firewood and it's just a, a stick that's completely soaked and he's like what's that firewood just tosses it um they resort to uh breaking a chair and burning it but uh while, while they're on the drive, with like Withnell gets woken up and he's just in agony, like just a like a migraine, just head splitting headache, uh, and I'm like that sounds awful. He's like, we need aspirin. It's funny the way that they go about uh, trying to remedy their ail uh, ailments. It's like if you are super hungover after two day two and a half days of drinking, no sleep, coffee's the last thing you want. If you have an uh, an alcohol related uh, migraine aspirin's not what you want but it's just funny that they don't learn like they're that's just what they had at the time they just don't really think it through but uh it's it's a uh, it's not necessarily like drug seeking behavior but it is a, a line of thinking where it's like i'm i'm feeling a thing i don't want to feel so something has to be done about it yeah um and the only i guess the only solution in their mind is to chase it with something else so yeah. it's it's the old woman that swallowed the fly like you're you're taking stuff to supplement this stuff or boost this or or lower this, and actually Danny of all people criticizes them yeah. later on, where um, Marwood gets uh, a little too high off of a hit of pot. Like I think that's all it is. Yeah. Um, but it it's a big one. It's a big one. <laughs> Probably pretty powerful. But he's 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 calling for something to to bring him down from that, and he's like, "What do you want?" Like. He's yeah, like, just, just smoke more eat, grass. Just, just smoke more. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they they get through the first night, but the entire time Withnell is just like bitching and moaning about his headache and needing aspirin. And how could we go? How could we pile into the car without aspirin? Like this is the worst pain yeah. ever. It's like, oh my god, shut up. And yeah, they do smash some chairs to start a fire in there. Uh, but in the morning, uh, we get a very pleasant little episode where marwood is on his own for like the second time in the movie maybe yeah i like the music through here it's just a piano and uh we just get lovely shots of the countryside there's like a little bit of a thumbing guitar in the background he does wake up uh he has a cool leather duster that he wears um but he checks on with and he's like asleep but he has like a weird moment where he just kind of grins he has like a little chuckle like a smile at seeing him sleeping i don't, I don't know what that was um, but yeah, he goes on a walk. He's going to go try to find some firewood. Um, and there's a joke that keeps coming up. He's trying to find wooden coal. And he goes to this uh, person's house. And it's just some old lady who can't hear very well. And he's like, can I buy wooden coal from you? He's like, I'm not from London. 
<laughs> they keep saying it to people that they bump into. I'm not from London. I don't know what yeah, the yeah, I don't know what the significance I, of I'm that is. I'm guessing it's like a, a stigma against city folks or something. Gotcha. Because they're very much in the country, and I could totally see people looking them up and down and just be like, "The fuck are you doing here?" Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's like, "Can we get? Some, can we buy some eggs and things from you?" And she's just like, "God no." no. <laughs> Um, but it it is kind of cute. He like yells into her. I think she has like a hearing aid, yeah, like an, an electronic like pouch attached to her chest, and he like leans in and shouts into her chest. Um, but yeah, she doesn't want anything to do with him. She doesn't even want to talk to him face to face because he comes back, um, and she doesn't even open the door this time. Uh, but she basically says like, "Don't talk to me. Go talk to my son out in the field." Like, and uh, he has his leg wrapped in a. A plastic, plastic bag, bag yeah. I don't but know. But they what. use a particular word for it. Um, it's poly- polythene. Uh, that's how it's spelt. That's not how it's pronounced. Um, but I, it's never something I've heard before. But yeah. then again, I, I think like there were a lot of gadgets that were not exactly in heavy use uh, in like back in the '60s. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that you and I think of as regular things. It's like actually I didn't really have those all the time. Like I think the was it the cellophane bags mm-hmm. in saving private ryan like you have to remember that was like revolutionary yeah. <laughs> like, and like i think that my dad told me the first time he ever saw a microwave was during military service in the late 60s <laughs> it's like damn world's changed but uh yeah he gets a, a lead on where to get some wood um but it's not from her but he heads back to the house and it's funny because like kyle had said he like was smiling at at withnell being asleep in bed but then as soon as he comes in the door, he's just like, wake the fuck up! Yeah, he's mad. Like, he's really upset. And yeah, like, get up, it's your turn to go look for stuff. And yeah. uh, Withnell's just like a child, like, he's a child, like, like a teenager, basically. It's just like, yeah, they go back back and forth between child and teenager, and he's just like, oh, I don't want to go do it. Uh, I think he goes, maybe he gets some potatoes, but that may not be it. That's not next. Uh, so the guy, and he's driving a, a big tractor, and it is pouring rain outside. And they hear him coming, and they, they run out there, and this is where Windows like, can you please help us? We've gone on a uh, holiday by mistake. <laughs> we're not from I London. I mean, they kind of, they, uh, yeah, we're not from London, but, they, I mean, they kind of have gone on holiday by mistake. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they came out here with any real intentions. They just came out here because they could. I thought it'd be a good idea, um, yeah. But yeah, they, they stopped this, this farmer guy on his tractor with his leg wrapped in polythylene, and, uh, uh basically this this guy does make mention of the fact that uh monty has brought young men out here before mm-hmm, yeah because uh, he says he was out here with his son and then you see withnell and, and marwood kind of sh- shoot each other <laughs> like, look it's like yeah that was monty yeah. <laughs> um but he does agree like i could bring you a chicken and some wood and stuff so you know he might be a hard old man but he's 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 got a heart yeah. Um, but I love the way the next scene starts. Um, this is where we get to see the peculiarities of our uh, our Londoners out in the countryside. Um, so we've seen them kind of like bumble and stumble through cottage living. Mind you, they've been here at least a night and a half. Still haven't gotten food really other no. than like apples. Um, and we see Withnell put his shoes in the stove. Yeah. Like, like in the oven. 
because he wants them to be dry and warm. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's. I feel like that's not going to end well. And uh, yeah. yeah, it doesn't either. <laughs> and then uh, he sends him out to get potatoes, and Withnal thinks he's going to get out of the chores. He's like, I can't get the potatoes. I have uh, my. I don't have my boots. If I had my boots, I would go do it. And he's like, so if you had shoes, you would do it. He's like, absolutely. So he puts, he fashions uh, two shoes out of uh, plastic bags and uh, sends them out to the garden for some potatoes. Yeah, and I love the way he gets the potato. Or again, he's like a child. Like yeah. he, he like kind of like gingerly walks out there, like he's like really afraid of slipping. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> but then he just like he, his tool of choice is a dinner fork. Mm-hmm. He like sticks it in the ground and he just holds it up like like he just got the fucking triforce or the master sword or something. And he's like, I got one. That's <laughs> like. Yeah, it's like, ah, that's great. Now get a whole bunch more so we can actually eat something on our weekend holiday. Um, but yeah, the farmer comes back and he gets them some logs uh, to start a fire, a proper fire this time, instead of one made of someone else's furniture, mind you. Yeah. Um, but then one of the best parts in the movie, if you ask me, like one of the most universally entertaining sequences. The chicken. Uh, they they get a chicken yeah and kyle you want to walk us through this yeah so he gives him the chicken and withnell's like taking a chair nap or whatever he's like check it out and he's like i got a chicken he's like awesome and he like turns around and it's alive and i love his uh, eat it fucker's still alive this <laughs> like, is his initial reaction no, my favorite was how do we make it dead? how do we make it die yeah how do we, <laughs> yeah, make, how it do we make it die how do we make it die <laughs> Uh, but yes, uh, Gerard is the one who has to clean it because I think Withnal probably kills it, so Gerard's clean, and he does an awful job of cleaning it because uh, it's still like they don't cut. It, I think they cut his head off, but they don't cut it off high enough, so there's still like spine, and they don't cut his feet off, so he's still got his feet sticking out, and he like tries to shove it into the tea kettle. <laughs> he just tries to like shove it in, there. and then they decide to find. Uh, oh, this Withnal finds a gun. He finds a shotgun, by the way. Um, but he goes and puts it in the oven, and he just, like, sticks it on a brick and shuts it. And I don't know if we ever get to eat that chicken. Uh, they say they had stew at some point, so maybe they did, but we never actually see it happen. But, yeah, this this chicken is not fit to consume. It is very poorly plucked. Whoever, whoever built this chicken prop, or if they just did this to a... If they desecrated the corpse of a chicken, <laughs> either way, good job, art department... But yeah, they set this fucking chicken corpse on like a brick, like it's like it's sitting on a throne. Yeah. <laughs> but I like the again attention to detail. Before they put the chicken on the brick throne, they have to extract Withnal's shoes. Yes. In front of the oven, and they're like smoking. It's like, oh man, that that was dumb. Yeah. Good job, buddy. Um, now we gotta call the agent. Uh, we get a at least that's the next thing I have. They go down to the phone booth, and Withnal's having a. A very loud conversation with whoever's on the other line, and uh, I guess they're wanting him to play the understudy. Like he's supposed to be the understudy of the lead, and he's just not having it. Um, and I think, uh, what's his face, Gerard? Does he get a callback, maybe, or he gets like a, a positive? He gets like positive news. I think he gets a lead, not so much a callback just yet, but he's he things are looking up on his end so withnell's probably a little bit bummed about that um but after this kind of angry little phone call that withnell has to to civilization they head back to their cottage and uh, we did see earlier um when marwood won his went on his little walk through through the countryside 
uh, there was a gate that had a message, a very stern message painted on it saying, shut the gate, mm. <laughs> shut this gate in particular. Uh, and so both of them uh, kind of disregard that because they walk through a different gate and they actually wave hello to their, their farmer, quote, <laughs> friend, not so much. Um, and he like waves back to them, but immediately like it, it's comical because he shot at a distance and his leg is wrapped up. So it's like he may have a prosthetic leg for all I know. Um, he like hops out in a hurry off of his tractor, and he's like, "Shut that fucking gate!" <laughs> um, and yeah, sure enough, right behind them, a bull comes out, which uh, the farmer actually did disclose to them that that's the reason his leg is fucked. It's because he describes it as a randy bull. Um, <laughs> this randy bull uh, ran over him apparently, or like took him off the tractor or something. But uh, we have this fun little episode where. Marwood is kind of forced to confront this bull head on. Uh, meanwhile, Withel just like <laughs> he runs for the hills. He runs, but he comes back to mock him the yes. entire time and antagonize he him. He is a it, real coward. Jumps over the thing. He's like, ah, and then he's just like lighting a cigarette. Like, oh, what are you gonna do now? Like, just kind of like talking <laughs> shit to him. Yeah, such a dick. Um, but then Farmer says, "Scream at him. You got to scream at the bull and make a lot of noise." Uh, and Gerard does that. He throws their groceries. I guess they went into town and got some groceries and scares the bull back in there. And he like actually accomplishes something. Uh, and of course, uh, I like with Noel's reaction to it. It's like, well, I fancy, I think we should uh, probably go get some drinks about it. <laughs> yeah, no, of course that that's his reward for his inaction basically. Um, but yeah, we get some narration from uh, Marwood here indicating that, uh, I think the proprietor of this particular pub uh, likes to take some sips on the side here and there. Yeah. So he like works. He works until like midnight until he passes out. Essentially, I, I like <laughs> he's he, easy to take advantage of too. I like what he says. Uh, like he's just like it probably was a nice pub back in the day, but now it's probably just owned by some guy who's a war veteran who just like is just running it now. Like it's not a big deal. That's exactly what's happening at this uh, local watering hole. Yeah, and Withnal kind of takes advantage of the guy and, and feigns mm-hmm. like military service to get in, get in good with him and up, appropriately enough get some free drinks out of him. Um, and what were they drinking here? Was it gin or something? No, it was whiskey. I think they were it was scotch. Whiskey. I think they were drinking scotch. Um, Lar- large scotches. Yes, <laughs> just two large scotches. Uh, and I, I love the drunk bartender because he is already hammered. Uh yeah. He can't, he can barely stand. <laughs> Pretty great, yeah. Um, he reminds me of the pilot from The Mummy, the 1999 yeah. Mummy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, He's looking for a good death. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, they're just like just sitting in this place. Uh, like, just, it seems really boring. It's just like a fire and a table. Like, there's not much to this pub. And there's no music or anything. They're just sitting there. It's the most boring drinking I could think of. Uh, I mean, it's basically a person's living room, honestly. Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's barely, it's barely a business. Like this is, this is probably the front half of someone's house or something. Yeah. Um, but we get a visitor here, um, and <laughs> this man is very much a country feller. Yes. Because uh, he comes in and he's like hunchbacked and he's got a big old coat on. He's covered in dust and soot. Um, he pours himself a pint. Like, he just reaches over the bar and does it. Nobody says anything about it. But the first thing he does after that is he pulls an eel out of his pants. Yeah. Like, not his pocket. Like, his pants. His pants. <laughs> and then he bashes his head on the counter because it's not dead yet. Yeah, that's not a man you approach. Because when Gerard sees him come in, he's like, 
hey, that's the poacher. Let's see if we can get, like, buy an eel from him. And Withnull just, like, takes the challenge. He's like, yes, we'll, we'll go do that. Um, so, yeah, this guy is, I mean, pretty brawny. He's pretty big. Uh, they're just like, we'd like to buy a, an eel from you. He's like, they're not for sale. And then he gives the bartender some pheasants. He's like, we want to buy a pheasant from you. He's like, pheasants are for him. The eels are for me. What are we supposed to eat if I give them to you kind of thing? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. This is the, the whole no, exchange. I, I, I love that the, the pheasants come from under his jacket. Like the that, hunch the, the hunch, hunch on his yeah. back is actually just pheasants. But I, I guess if you're trying to keep your goods dry, because it was raining out, that's what you got to do. But he's like half monster man. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's just the audacity of Withnull to just like run up to him like a bright-eyed kid and just be like, hey, could we get an eel? And he's like, the fuck did you do to earn that eel, son? <laughs> it's like absolutely nothing. And... Yeah, and then Withnall's like kind of like not talking shit to him, but he's like kind of standing up to him, which this isn't the guy you want to do that to. And he's just like, oh yeah, he just like takes his cigarette out of his mouth. He's like, Let me get a few puffs of that. He's like, that's a that's a power move. Oh yeah, and they they offer it willingly upon request because I'm not you're not gonna fuck with this guy. I'm not gonna fuck with this guy. Um, but he does kind of threaten them, uh, and he does say, I'm gonna I know where you live and I'm gonna come there. Um, but the payoff to this was kind of interesting because mm-hmm. it's like i don't know it's like country law or something where it's like you got you got to be tough inside but you also have to like support each other mm-hmm. so like this this seems like in the eyes of our heroes that it's going to lead to a conflict or something and this this movie is not exactly rife with conflict so it's like is something gonna happen <laughs> but the payoff for it is totally the opposite it's kind of it's kind of pleasant actually um but yeah, they they head home after that, and Withnall has a little explosion out yeah. in the evening, just like declaring to the heavens that he's he's gonna hit it big someday, and he's probably needing a little ego boost after being dressed down by the the poacher, as you said. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be his rhythm: is that like whenever whenever he feels challenged or brought down in any way, he he kind of vacillates back and forth between, I don't know, being abrasive and. Being like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back stronger than ever. So he, he's very reactionary, is what he is. Yeah. Um, but I love their little fishing expedition yeah. that comes after this. I want something's flesh. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's terrific. They go shotgun fishing yeah. in a stream. Uh, it doesn't exactly work out, but we get some lovely photography of the countryside, and I, I just love the the visual of Withnull in his long coat. With no pants, yeah. <laughs> he still has his tie on. Yeah. <laughs> like double-barreled shotgun into the stream. Oh yeah, and also there's like a, a thing that happens uh, from time to time where Withnall uh, discusses the notion of changing his name uh, potentially to like I guess further his career just on a whim because he's that kind of person. Yeah, what's um, the name that he comes up with? I didn't write it down. He comes up with it more than one, um, but they're always rejected by Marwood. Uh, one of them was Donald Twain, and I oh, think that, yeah. that's I think bad. it was like it's a little close to Mark Twain, but <laughs> and I think that's generally the reaction is whatever he goes with is a little too close to something other something else that's also familiar. Um, but it's just an interesting aspect of Withnall. It's like he has this desire to transform or or turn a new leaf or something, but he he just lacks the will to do it. Yeah. Because he's very much set in his ways. Like he's a character that is intriguing without a whole lot of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, like I said, still fucking works. But um, is this when we get the intruder? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so they come up on the house, and Jake, the guy that they just got into the uh, not confrontation, but the conversation with at the bar, is leaving the house. Uh, so now they're like, he's now they're terrified. They're worried that he's gonna kill them, and uh, they end up going to bed. And then they're like, we have to sleep. To-. Like Withel's like, we have to sleep together. He's gonna come back and kill us. And he's like, we're not gonna do that. So I think Gerard is uh, sleeping in his bed. And he's like, he's like laughing at Withel beforehand because he's so afraid. Uh, so Withel like climbs into bed with him. He like wakes him up, and he's like, we're sleeping in the same bed together. And Gerard tries to take the gun away from him, and the gun goes off, and he just he just I think he throws the gun out the window and screams at Withnall. Like, he is furious. I'd be pretty mad, too, if that... I mean, somebody jumps into my bed with a gun, and then the gun ends up going off over my head. I'm going to be pretty upset. Yeah, with a loaded gun, yeah. and it goes off near your head and shoots a hole in the ceiling, of, again, of a building you don't own. Um, <clears throat> I will say this much, though. The the body language, like, the their movement when they're when with forcing himself into the bed with marwood mm-hmm. it's pretty funny looking because he's trying to negotiate slipping into like a twin bed with another man while brandishing a double-barreled shotgun yeah and he's like drawing it across the two of them he's kind of using it as like a tool to like pin both of them to the bed <laughs> um, but they get in a little wrestling match and yeah a hole gets blown in the roof um but then marwood takes off and for the second time in the same evening, yeah. uh, Withnull pursues him into the other bedroom because they're kind of like trading bedrooms back yeah. and forth. Um, every, every, everything belongs to everybody in this particular situation. But Withnull comes in and he hears like a creaking. like He hears something at the door and there's like glass noises too. And uh, credit to Richard E. Grant. I mean, he, everything about his performance in this movie is fantastic. Like he commands every scene. Um, but this moment in particular, like, He's playing up the drama of some way coming into the house. Oh, yeah. He... But, but but there's there's a particular like a way that he goes about doing it where you you both buy into the tension of it, but mm. also the hilarity of it. Yeah. Because because it's it's so heightened to the point that's like, oh, come on, like like even if the next thing that happened in the movie was literally like a serial killer kicking the door down trying to kill both of them or something, it'd still kind of be funny. Yeah. <laughs> but. But yeah, he's he's behaving like a like a drama queen here. It's like everything. It's like it's like this is the worst. Our luggage was stolen. stolen. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, they're they're like bundled up in bed together, and the camera's like pushing into both of their faces. But now Gerard, um, I like I like the battle plan though. <laughs> oh yeah, what's he say? Uh, what was the battle plan? Sorry. Uh, so Marwood suggests that. Okay, I'll I'll go into the other room and then I'll let him come to you and then I'll jump him from behind and we can wrestle him we can wrestle him together. And, and Withnell's retort is like, no, no, I'll be stabbed by the time you get there. Yeah. Like that's no good. But Withnell's like, <laughs> Withnell assumes that like, oh, he's headed towards the bedroom that used to be yours. He's here for you. Yeah, you should offer yourself to him. <laughs> it's like that. That is such a withnal move. Yeah. It's a real <laughs> like, move. It's like you go run under. You go run at the bear, and I'll run away. <laughs> I think this plan is a this good. Is gonna one. Work. We should totally do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. But now Gerard is like, no, there's somebody in the house. Like now, there is definitely somebody in the house coming up the stairs, and they're terrified. And slowly, very slowly, it's Uncle Monty. It's Uncle Monty, and I like that uh, when he opens the door, uh, Withnell uses a word that we don't often get to use in the States, um, 
but apparently it's a maybe it's a thing in the uk but he calls him a terrible c word yeah <laughs> a struggling runt yeah <laughs> <laughs> if green shoe now, hooligans see, yeah now that's some like edited for tv diehard shit right there <laughs> yippee ki mr falcon <laughs> you runt yeah yeah this um, is why you don't fly with a stranger in the Alps, Kyle. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Gerard is ecstatic to find out that it's Uncle Monty. He's like, oh, no, no, it's perfectly fine. That's okay. He's like, I'm sorry, guys. I'll, I'll sleep in the other room. Uh, but we get the next morning, and Uncle Monty has brought supplies. Uh, he has brought all the fixings. He's got, like, a case of wine. Oh, yeah. He has a case of wine. He has all manner of fancy cheeses and meats. He's making um, bacon and tomatoes for breakfast. It's a nice spread. Oh, yeah. No, he, he came prepared. Yeah. Um, and being as he's the one that's bringing all the goods into the household, uh, we have to entertain him uh, and indulge him, essentially. So he j- he just goes on and on and on and on <laughs> talking about his own horse shit. Um, but uh, this is where he, he talks about, the I guess, the political climate in the UK just a little bit. Um, stuff that went right over my head. But um, he, he looks upon the situation of being like in this house with these these two young men is like we're we're like we're like the only good people left in the world essentially it's like oh shit what the fuck was going on in the uk in the 60s <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but um it is made known to him that they don't have boots which is why they're wearing fucking no wellingtons plastic bags yeah, yeah no wellingtons um and with kind of weasels his way out of the house uh, to go fetch uh, i think wine um I think uh, Uncle Monty left it somewhere. Like he had a store storehouse or something. Uh, so he like kind of weasels himself out of this uh, conversation and leaves Marwood alone yes. with Uncle Monty, uh, who wants him to help him cook. Um, and Marwood is, God bless him, he is trying his best to uh, just excuse himself from the situation. Excuses and politeness are no match for Uncle Monty's. Uh, insistence no is not in his vocabulary because he is not taking no for an answer he makes him help him with the meat did you catch this line that he says i want you to help me with the chicken or whatever it is he says i can never touch raw meat and yes and he says i uh, weep in butcher sh-. as a child i would weep in butcher shops i'm like what the fuck are you talking about dude <laughs> everyone in this movie kyle had their luggage stolen <laughs> <laughs> um yes the, all three of these characters are massively dramatic yes. um in the way they go about uh comporting themselves and and speaking um uncle monty is is quite dramatic um but he also has a lot of innuendo uh in mm-hmm. his speech yeah. um, when we're first introduced to him uh, he has some choice words about carrots um, uh. and uh flower flowers are whores <laughs> flowers are the prostitutes of the natural world <laughs> And uh, yeah, he could never touch raw meat. And uh, it's where he's getting kind of a... touchy. Like he puts an apron on uh, Gerard before. Like he he was totally cordial, just totally fine at their uh, at his at his place at his house. But now he's been given information that Gerard is not privy to yet. Yeah, uh, I think I think Uncle Uncle Monty is under the assumption that. With Noel and Gerard are an item, yes. or at least With Noel is interested in in Gerard, um, and so Gerard is kind of using that as an excuse, where it's like I'm committed, like we we we're working on something over here. If you insert yourself into the situation, it's going to really fuck things up. 
but Monty ain't having it. No. Um, but yeah, when, with the dramatic apron hanging, yes. <laughs> it's like, we must choose our moment and tell him. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. Uh, <laughs> and the, the framing of this dialogue exchange is wonderful because it's really tight it's shots. Intimate, yes. And again, we they, we take advantage of the bulk of Monty here because yeah. like, there's a part where he's he's asking uh, Gerard to like help him find some stuff in the supply crates he brought, and he like finds an excuse to like mm-hmm. not embrace him but get both of his arms on either side of him, and he's leaning in and it's like, oh, that is too close, Uncle Monty. <laughs> it's like, and that is a lot of Uncle Monty. Yes. Um, but Withnal shows up with the wine, and of course, wine takes precedence over everything uh, in this film, anyway. Um, but Uncle Monty insists that these young gentlemen go to town and get Wellingtons for themselves, because they can't be in the countryside without proper footwear. It is just not done, Kyle. Uh, so he drives them into town, and I like that he like kicks them out of the car, basically, and yeah. he's like, get away from the car. Like You're making me look bad, because yeah. you're both dressed like fucking hobos. <laughs> he's like, yeah, go get, she's like, go get you some Wellingtons, meet me over there in a half hour, and they're like, uh, I think he gave them like 100 bucks a piece. It looked like quite a bit of money. Like, let's go have a drink. I'm like, of course you're going to go have a fucking drink. Um, and then they go to the pub. They get uh, a pair of quadruple whiskeys uh, and two pints. Um, and this is where uh, Gerard gets, I think it's where he finds out he has a callback. Like, he's like, we have to get back to London soon because I have a callback. Uh, and he's excited because now he's like got an excuse to get out of there. Uh, doesn't really work out how he wants it to, though. Yeah, I think this is the one part of the movie that I noticed anyway where their speech is slurred. Yes. Like they are that drunk that they're they're barely able to stand. Like the rest of the time they're they're pretty sloshed and you know, they, they have a certain way of handling themselves that's very loose and very you know, inebriated, but right now in this instance they are just hammer drunk. Oh fucking hammer. Well they had five drinks <laughs> in thirty minutes, Trevor. That's a, <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot to have in 30 minutes. They are more booze than man in this moment. They're like, um, the way that they go about the, their drinking, it's just, there's different techniques. There's different strategies to binge drinking. Like, you can eat early at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, have a good hefty meal, and then drink from 5 to 2 o'clock in the morning. Or you can just go empty stomach and drink until you pass out. That's one of the way. Theirs is like, we're going to get as drunk as possible in the shortest amount of time and then soak up the booze with cake. That's what, the, that's what their next plan is. Like, we're just going to soak up the booze with cake and scones next. I'm like, That's a very, very interesting way to go about it. Yeah, I love the way they arrived at that conclusion. Because mm-hmm. they just exit the building. They exit the pub. And then I think Marwood just kind of looks up and he's like, cake mm. <laughs> like i've like come to the conclusion that cake is needed right now <laughs> like there's no decision making process but i think it speaks to how close the two of these guys are that they're just on the same wavelength mm-hmm. it's just like cake yes cake let's yes, do it cake yeah. <laughs> but they walk into this little tea house oh, and no no one in here is under the age of 65 no no um and I want to say that maybe there's there's like a extra layer to this gag, because um, I mean, it's 1969. We're a couple decades removed from World War II and whatnot. I know there's probably a lot of social and political upheaval because it was a pretty turbulent time. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is like a generational conflict on top yeah. of just being an awkward situation involving drunk people. 
um, in a place that is not built to house those drunk people. It seems very, it seems rude. It's like something you, a, a younger person wouldn't do, especially in a town. It's like just that. not done. Yeah, it's just not done. <laughs> you, you don't do that kind of stuff. And maybe coming from London, it's just like it's a it's a tea house, and everybody comes into the same place. But out there, it's like this is kind of unspoken. This is for the elderly folk during this time, especially. Like you just don't go in there, especially if you're hammered drunk, because that's the first thing. Like you guys are you guys are wasted. I feel like this is, like, an intense violation of certain, like, cultural norms yeah, or something. Yeah, I think you're like, right. Like, this really is just not done. Like, even if you're a young shithead, you just, you don't do this, especially with an entire room full of elder people that seem to be doing pretty well, like, in financially speaking. But, um, yeah, they come in and they start helping themselves to the dinner rolls. Mm. Um, and they're told uh, by the, the bike this lady and they're like we're about to close we're not going to be serving you but they're like we want cake yes <laughs> um and yeah marwood is just like spreading butter on these rolls like even even after they've been told that but uh, apparently there's a apparently this movie in some circles is regarded as like uh U- uk wayne's world in terms of quotability oh really it's like be- between you and i like wayne's world is a very very quotable film the most, apparently yeah. this Apparently, this movie has a similar reputation in certain circles. Maybe, probably not as widespread as Wayne's World, but it is thought of as a very quotable film. Well, um, I'm going to be saying "fucker's still alive" and "how do we make it die?" for sure. Yeah. Yeah. How do we make it die is is pretty good. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll find an excuse to use that. But apparently, one of the more popular lines in the movie is happens here, where um, the proprietor, as he declares himself, uh, is trying to usher them out of the building. And uh, with Noel is not having it. They pretend that they're film producers and they're scouting locations because, yeah, you look the part for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he like, loudly proclaims, we want wines. We want the finest wines available to humanity. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently that's a popular one. But, um, yeah, the, the scene is, is pretty fucking funny um, because it, it's like all these old ladies in the background that we keep cutting back to between all these shenanigans. You're like, oh, my word, and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised somebody wasn't fanning themselves when they came in. A monocle's about to pop out. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. M- most unorthodox. Most unorthodox. <laughs> uh, I believe that I will also be saying I used to weep in butcher shops just because it's the stupidest. It's one of the silliest lines. It's so bizarre, but it it works. Like it lands really well because it it's like one of those you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight yeah. light lines. So it's like what what? <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> but moving on. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, one. Why were you in butcher shops? Two. Why were you weeping? Why were you weeping? <laughs> can never touch raw meat. I can uh, never touch raw meat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they pissed off Mon- I find I find tinsel distracting. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually thinking that right when you said it. Yeah, it's on that level. <laughs> anyway, uh the the tea house scene concludes with a uh, thankfully the police are on their way, but uh Uncle Monty shows up in the car, and our our two fellers just kind of excuse themselves from the venue, and we all head back to the cottage. And yeah, Uncle Monty's upset. Did you notice his beat brooch that he has? He has like I a, did not. He has like a little pin, like not where you like almost where you put a carnation, like a flower, but he has like a little beet. It's a it's a beet plant because that's his thing. He grows vegetables. That's all those plants he had in his uh in his uh house. It wasn't plants; it was vegetables. Oh, 
Wow. Um, I didn't notice that, but I mean, that's very, that's very in line with the the character. Like yeah. that actually works out really, really well. Um, but yeah, we we go back to the cottage, and uh, Uncle Monty is starting to get antsy. Uh, we we have some dialogue exchanges here where he's kind of being accusatory towards uh, Marwood. Like he's kind of pointing out that he's he's letting some he's kind of concealing thoughts or feelings or something and like he he kind of aligns himself with with in such a way where it's like this guy's up to something but he's not letting us know what and i guess he's trying to apply more pressure to to poor marwood yeah he's i thought he was blaming him for getting them super drunk but that doesn't seem to be the case yeah, it, it's it's a they're speaking in kind of like elliptical terms here, where it's like I'm not like a lot of things are going unsaid, but the cinematography does a lot to spell out the thoughts and intentions here. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marwood gets a lot of close-ups dedicated to him, where it's like you can tell he he feels under pressure, like he's a little intimidated by Monty in this instant. Um, but we do head on to dinner and whatnot, and uh, we have a lovely roast. And Monty just will not shut the fuck up because he has stories for everything. And I I imagine he's one of those people that has stories that he thinks are really, really entertaining. Mm-hmm. But he so seldom has people to tell them to that he's, like, completely unaware of how boring they might be. He does seem to be very lonely. Yeah. 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 That seemed like a very big house, but I didn't see any company other than that cat that he wants to murder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and by the way, speaking of beats, his fucking face is so red yes, <laughs> throughout, yes. throughout basically the remainder of the film. <laughs> like, it's, oh, my boys, my boys. He's just, yeah, I think he's just so happy to have company and what he assumes to be like, like-minded gentlemen. Um, I kind of feel for the guy. I kind of feel bad for him, you know, but I don't feel too bad for him uh, moving forward, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he wants what he can't have, and uh, it's a... Uh, it, it 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 puts him in some situations it's like monty all you have to do is just you know look at yourself in the mirror for a second and maybe think about it and uh, we don't have to have all this awkwardness yeah. but no he he wants what he wants yeah you are old fat um so <laughs> <laughs> uh I mean, not, nothing against the actor i'm just saying that's the character um so yeah they go for an after lunch walk and they come back and they're having drunk cards and we are doing some heavy drinking drunk cards like they are Gerard's like on his toes like he's kind of like he's nervous and he's uncomfortable so he's not super drunk but with Noel is like going on blackout and there's kind of some cahoots it feels like between uh, uh, with Noel and Uncle Monty where they're playing cards uh, like like Gerard's just not in on the joke or whatever um, but they're super hammered and this is where uh, Gerard's <laughs> strategic trying to go to bed does not work out. Yeah, I just want to point out that, like, while while I've described a lot of Monty's uh, dialogue as being kind of boring, uh, the the word choice is very eloquent. peculiar, it but very eloquent. Yeah. Like uh, at one point he uses a phrase that I again might have to steal from him at some point. The the sky is beginning to bruise, as in it looks like it's gonna rain, mm-hmm. and it's like wow, that that's an interesting way of putting it. Um. And also, when we're out on our walk, uh, he does kind of, like, reminisce very openly, I guess, uh, about, like, previous relationships or at least connections that he had in his life. Like, I think it was when he was in university, he, he had a guy that he was enamored with that he's like, I wonder what happened to that guy. So, again, I think it reinforces that he's probably kind of lonely. Yeah. Like, it sounds like all of his 
his best times are thoroughly in his past. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do head back to the cottage, and here's where we get our payoff to the poacher, because we oh, did rabbit, see him yes. rummaging around. Yeah, we did see him rummaging around the house, and we our our heroes thought he was there to like bash their heads in or something, because he he did have some nasty words for them. Uh, but he did say, "I could bring you a rabbit. I I have an eel and a pheasant here for for this guy who runs the pub." But I could bring you a rabbit if you wanted. And sure enough, he brought them a fucking rabbit. And he, like, pinned it to their door, which, you know, does look kind of menacing. But the guy gave him a free rabbit. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Like, seem- seemingly without, you know, request for payment or anything either. Uh, so I guess the poacher did have some good intentions, uh, e- even though he, you know, dressed them down verbally pretty bad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, the the card game. Uh, this reminded me of some uh, some moments I've had in my life where it's like I, I hate being stuck in like a, a board game or a card game that you just do not want to be involved in. Yeah. But like, but like, there's that one asshole who like that that's what we're doing tonight. Like we're doing this, and it's like I'm not really in the mood, but I, I'm here, and you like you you know you're hosting, so I guess I'll do it. But it's like there's there's a particular type of tension that comes with um sharing company with people that you maybe aren't especially interested in being around and not only sharing company but being engaged in competition with those people mm. like it makes it it makes it even worse especially if there's complex rules involved because then then you don't have a way of not paying attention like you don't have a way of checking out i guess mm. I don't know. It, it's a very personal thing for me, but just the just the image of a very uncomfortable Marwood being forced to play cards with with Monty and with Noel. It's like, yeah, yeah I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a Monty chasing me, thankfully. Oh. But, um, but yeah, been I've been in that card game. Um, but yeah, this is where uh, things escalate between uh, Monty and Marwood here. Yeah. Right. And Kyle, you want to try to break down what happens here? So uh, Gerard is like, I'm going to go sleep in the one room. You're going to go sleep in the other room, Uncle Monty. And Withnal said that he's going to sleep on the couch. And Withnal is just like, no, I'm going to bed. Like just jumps up and says he's going to bed. So he just like runs upstairs and goes to bed. So he's like, uh, Gerard's like, Uncle Monty, you can go asleep He's like, no, no, I'll take the couch. Like, he's kind of upset with uh, Gerard. He's like, it's fine. You can have the bedroom upstairs. It's not the first time that I've had to sleep on the couch. Like, upset that he's not willing to, you know, stay with him. It's a very uncomfortable conversation that we have in the living room. It's just like you. Well, and what makes it worse is we have it twice. Yes. Like, (laughs) Like, we have it twice back to back where there's a negotiation process where... Again, the combination of the lensing and the lighting here, it it feels, it feels like sinister almost. It's yeah, scary. it it feels it feels creepy, scary. Um, in a otherwise mostly lighthearted and fun movie, um, but the choice of camera angle here, where eventually, like eventually, Marwood talks himself out of things, and he's like, "Okay, Uncle Monty, you'll get the bedroom. I'll go on the couch, yes. even though Withnal was supposed to, jackass." Yeah. Um, but um, when when Marwood is like setting up his sheets on the couch and the door opens mm-hmm. behind him. It's pretty funny. It's like it's like a Michael Myers moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like not Mike Myers, but Michael Myers. The look on his face is just like he doesn't want to, it's pure terror. Like he's not even turning around. Like he opens and shuts the door and he's just 
<laughs> you get, yeah, he's he, it's it's that kind of look where it's like if I don't turn around, maybe, maybe he'll he go won't away, be there. Yeah. yeah, maybe he'll go away. <laughs> but yeah, Monty walks up on him and uh, he gives him that that lowered eye look that mm-hmm. I was I was alluding to earlier. That's it's very antagonistic. It's very creepy. It's very sinister. Um, but yet for the second time, Marwood has to tell him like. Eh, no, no, like, no, no, like, no, no. I, I don't think I want to share a, a sleeping area with you, Uncle Monty. That, that's nice. He, he doesn't look like he smells good either. No. Um, and yeah, the camera is just like rammed up into both of their faces, and, and it, it, it makes for like legitimate tension. But this is where that line comes out about this will not be the first time I've had to, I've been left on the couch. Yes. So, uh, I believe. Yeah, so Gerard goes up to his bedroom and uh, go like lays down to go to sleep, and wouldn't you know it, the door opens again. This was kind of scary. This was scary, because um, he he's like Monty. He's like no, 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 no. Like you'll need to come in here. And now he's in a robe. Uh, he's dressed in a, down a silken robe. Silken <laughs> robe. And I like this kind. I got. A, I kind of got a chuckle out of this. So uh, uh, Gerard lights a match and like turns the uh light lights a candle and he <laughs> in the in the candlelight he can see that uh monty has put on some rouge like he's got some makeup on <laughs> and he's just so like he's like frantic like he's like super horny super drunk and just like almost gonna cry if he doesn't get to have sex with him soon it's really terrifying because this man is 300 pounds yeah, I've, I've mentioned it before, probably not in conversation with you, but there's a, a David Cronenberg movie called, I think it's Shivers. Mm. Um, it's one of his very first, if not his first. It's about a, a STD, like alien parasite or something. Um, that, I, Like I said, it's an STD, so it transfers via sexual congress or, or I think even like just like mouth and stuff. But anyway, um, it's basically staged like a zombie movie in an apartment complex only difference is the zombies really 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 want to sleep with you um and there's an image at the very end of the film where it's like a horde of really horny people chasing our protagonist and somehow that's equally terrifying as like like a bunch of things wanting to eat you it's like no when when it's unwanted this this stuff is always really scary um and again this this should be even even creepier than it is because um, it's certainly uncomfortable subject matter, but uh, it's all credit to this movie that this whole sequence, while certainly tension-filled, doesn't feel out of line. Like it, it actually feels like it belongs in the movie, and it feels like it's from the same movie. So it, it's kind of remarkable that they're able to pull off that particular trick. Um, but yeah, the the makeup on Monty's face does not go unnoticed. Uh, in particular, like the the eyeshadow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I described him as a Muppet earlier. He, it dialed up even more so in this moment. But um, yeah, he 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 really 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 needs something in this moment, and he he will do whatever he has to to get it. But um, things get pretty desperate. Like he's like physically chasing Marwood around the bedroom. He's uh, like, here. you will give it to me, or I will take it from you. Basically, like he says it pretty much like that. Yeah, and some of the the word choice here, where he refers to him as boy, yeah. a lot. Uh, that's like whoa, boy. That's, yeah, it's, yeah. Like I I know you're I know you're not sleeping, boy. It's like whoa. Oh. Okay, this this is this this got creepy real fast. Yeah. But, um, also, it needs to be said. Apparently, um, 
I don't know to what extent thing like how far things went, but apparently a similar episode did occur in in the director's life. Mm. Um, in like the director's named like it was a Italian director who uh, made advances towards our director, so um, maybe some of the emotionality and some of the words exchanged in the sequence came directly from memory. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure all these characters are fabricated. Um, but yeah, do you recall how the situation is diffused? Yeah, this is a real problem, by the way. In my notes, I'm like, this is a real problem. Monty is not stopping. <laughs> He's not giving up. But I guess Withnall had told Monty that Gerard is gay and got in trouble uh, just to get the cottage. So he's kind of under the assumption that he is gay and that he's just kind of playing hard to get. But finally, Gerard just kind of like leans into the lie and he's like, listen, I can't be with you because I belong to somebody else. Like, Withnell and I have been together for six years and we haven't like shared, we haven't shared, not shared a bed in six, in those six years. And it's really sad. Like, like this is what it resorts to. But he, he just breaks Monty. He's like, oh my god. Like he almost starts. I think he starts crying. He's just like, I am so sorry. He's like, I had no idea. He's like, yeah. Withnell was just saying that because he's, you know, he's nervous. He's embarrassed. Like he doesn't want to talk about us. And yeah, it just breaks Monty down. He apologizes and just leaves immediately. It's kind of all that that he just did. The almost rape that was about to happen. You kind of feel bad for him when he finds out that they're that he thinks that they're lovers well yeah i mean he's a sad lonely monster basically yeah that like he he was driven to to this state of affairs through desperation i mean it doesn't make it any less ugly but it just shows where where he's at with his life and his his feelings on things and um also maybe the the way things were phrased too where with like Marwood explains that the reason uh, Withnull wasn't making it clear that the two of them were an item, although I think that's just straight up lie, um, was because Withnull is uh, ashamed of his sexuality or something. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe Monty felt for him or it yeah. identified with him on some level. But either way, the situation is diffused and uh, Marwood quickly runs into oh. Withnull's bedroom. It's like, we are leaving now. I deny all <laughs> allegations. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I like I like Withnell's response to all this. Like he's got like this real sinister, like Machiavellian, just like making like he's just been doing all this lying and it's finally paid off and he's just like, Oh, you told him that? Like, wow, you really you really leaned into it, you sociopath. And it's like, fuck you. Like, you put me in this kind of... You put me in this situation. I almost got raped by your uncle in the other room. And there wasn't much he was going to be able to... There wasn't much he was going to be able to do to stop him, basically. He's a big guy. Yeah. He's a big guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, Withdell in the very next scene is just, like, dining alone, drinking wine, smoking, all at the same time, mind you. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems very self-satisfied. Yes. Like. I, th- I think that's that's his view on life is that very little is of actual consequence yeah. so you may as well have fun along the way oh he's um, a nihilist yeah i think <laughs> oh oh for sure for sure but uh, he's also a hedonist uh to some degree yes. um even though that doesn't seem to incorporate sexuality but as i told kyle before we started recording i i don't th- i don't think withnell is capable of sexual acts like he yeah. just he doesn't have the stamina <laughs> like, like he's never seen moving very quickly um everything is just, he's very 
leisure seeking in his in his attitude on life. He, he it just doesn't seem like it would in, it, the experience is unsatisfying. Like having sex is just whatever. Like there's other Oh, th- he 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 he'd have choice words for anyone who attempted to pleasure him. They'd all do it wrong. Oh, yeah, gosh. He'd, be a <laughs> he'd have he'd have so many words he'd and opinions. Be a prostitute's <laughs> nightmare. Yes. Oh my god, with little fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. Um, no, you'd have to comment on every choice and just, oh, oh, yeah. everything, everything would just be eye rolls and scoffs. <laughs> um, but uh, I do like uh, like this next. Like, Monty leaves a really heartfelt note. He's just like apologizing like crazy, and you know, he just burns it. And yeah, this is where Withnull's just like, this was the this was the cherry on top. Was he, yeah, he's, he's sitting there eating, but um, uh, Gerard gets a call back, and he's like, we have to go to London now. And I, like with Noel is jealous like you can just see it like he's jealous that he gets a call back but he's like i need at least an hour for lunch like <laughs> he's eating his lunch but they end up packing up the lunch yeah every time that uh gerard's career advancement comes up you do get just that little little bit of like a facial tick or mm-hmm. something that tips you off it's to the so subtle not... yeah yeah it's very subtle I, I like the way it's executed and i think he even like goes out of his way to comment like about the venue like oh why would you want to go to that shithole it's like it's, it's a job theater. dude yeah yeah it's, it's, a, pilot it's a good season, job dude <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah you can tell that there is some professional jealousy there but um they do pack it up and uh, hit the road i I, um, I will hand it to withnell like he is jealous and he just gets like a little remark like why would you want to go there but he's not demeaning he's not mean to him he doesn't try to put him down or make him feel like shit for getting the part like you would think his character would do that but it actually kind of puts him in check a little bit yeah actually when we get to the very end of the movie we'll let's revisit yeah. that because i'm i'm curious because uh, it's a it's not something you see in movies very often where oftentimes the way things are played out in films they they tend to heighten things mm-hmm. in a ugly artificial way um but the conclusion of this film feels strangely organic and true mm-hmm. um but yeah, we'll get to that when we get to that. But when we hit the road, it's it's again <laughs> raining out. Uh, it's also very dark. <laughs> I love this. I, lo- yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it when we we see Withnell in the passenger seat up front. He has his dinner mm-hmm. in his lap uh, that he had mentioned he needed an hour to finish. Yeah, and he is going to <laughs> um, take an hour to finish it. Yes, he is going to take an hour, even if it's in a moving vehicle. <laughs> but he also has a bottle of wine, like mm-hmm. kind of sandwiched between his arm in his lap and he's also supposed to be the fucking navigator yes, i love it. it it's it's really great he's like he's like looking down you got a car coming up here just stay to the left it, it's just, yeah it's yeah, pretty bare right bare, bare right, right. Bare right. <laughs> what does that mean like i can't even see the lanes it's a it's a mini miracle that they did not drive off the road and die that evening but um there's another gag though because Marwood is talking about, okay, we need to fix these windshield wipe the windshield wiper. We only have one. Um, and I also need some rest because uh, these fellas uh, probably found a way to not sleep over the past couple of nights. Um, but then very next scene, hard cut to Marwood in the back seat. That doesn't add up because no. the car is moving, but that means... Withnall well, is driving. What does that mean? That means Withnall is <laughs> driving. I have back to London, Withnall driving. Fuck. Because <laughs> Withnall is driving. <laughs> oh, and it's, he's just 
like I don't know how fast he's going. I think he's going like moderately over the speed limit, but he is not signaling and he is just weaving through cars. And he's like, <laughs> "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm making time." <laughs> he is clearly intoxicated. <laughs> well, he hit that perfect that perfect peak though, where it's like he has the self confidence. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, like he has that lack of self-doubt that you get at certain stages of drunkenness yeah uh, or, that's or, pretty early on <laughs> the lack of self-doubt <laughs> well he still had that wine with him so maybe he yeah. freshened up or something <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a that's a good that's a good one um yeah it's like with Nilla's driving only that's not with no driving isn't that weird <laughs> uh, yes we uh we, now we get pulled over obviously um this is one of the funniest lines of the whole whole movie coming up um but the police are just so polite they're like pull over like he's he goes for a while and they like tell him to pull over they pull over in front of him and uh they they ask him like what they know right away that he's drunk uh, and they have him get out of the car and they're like you have to blow into this you know breathalyzer he's like i'm not gonna do it and like you're refusing it and then he's like, yeah, like, well, you're under arrest. And he's like, well, why should I be under arrest? Like, he's just arguing with the cops. And do you want to say the line? <laughs> Get the fuck in the van! Get in the back of the van! <laughs> Get the fuck in the van! <laughs> he's, just, he's just so... You think that the, pol- the most polite, nonchalant police officer, this guy just fucking snaps. And Whitbull just, he just responds immediately. just gets into the back of the van. Yeah, it's a skinny, unibrowed police officer. Yeah. Like, the, the one guy, the bigger guy with the mustache, he's doing all the talking, the skinny guy with the unibrow, just, <laughs> like, he has heard enough. Yeah. He <laughs> just explodes. Yeah, it was pretty funny. But we, we get a shot of, I think, uh, Gerard's just kind of sitting in the police station, and we get, like, it, I, I think it's just like a like a circular shot where we just, like, we, we see the cop that arrests them come in, and he whispers something to a guy in a chair, and they kind of look over, and one cop walks over to the... Uh, walks over to the curtain where Withnall's peeing. And this is kind of funny. Like, it's, he gets caught with the apparatus and he just kind of, like, giggles about it. Like, it's not a big it's, deal. It's more, it's more than giggling. It's kind of beautiful, actually. Because, yeah. like, the cop angrily pulls back the curtain and, and the, the, the apparatus, as Kyle has said it, the, the pee bladder that was bestowed on uh, Withnall towards the beginning of the film, uh, he is attempting to use it. And it's just like freely spraying urine all over yeah. the place, and his like schlubby body language, and the cop doesn't even say anything. He's just like he just gives him a look, like what are you doing, yeah. man? But but Withnell's facial expression is so awesome because it's like he's trying to look sympathetic, and like he looks like a kid that knows they did wrong, yeah. <laughs> but like. He's so drunk that he can't quite manage it, so he's just kind of like making weird faces yeah. with the guy, like dopey, depressed faces. He might have gone method and gotten drunk for it because I'm like, he looks hammered while he's doing apparently, it. Apparently, he has like an alcohol allergy and he never drinks. No kidding. Yeah, apparently Richard E. Grant does not drink, and apparently the director forced him to drink at least once so he could get a feel for the character, and he got really fucking sick off of no it. No kidding. Um, for the lighter fluid scene, he drank uh, vinegar. Uh, the director slipped vinegar into the bottle gotcha. uh, in between takes. The first time, it was, it was water, and they tricked him, and he slipped vinegar in there to make his face grimace. That's incredible. The director must be really... He must be very knowledgeable of... Uh, of alcoholism because this there's it's hard to pull off this performance never drinking like never have been never have been never have been drunk like that that's pretty impressive 
I mean, he seems like a, a particular person. Um, like Kyle had mentioned up top, I, I'm not terribly familiar with the guy's filmography, but I suspect he's led a very interesting life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does have an eye for blocking and, and dialogue in particular. Like the way this movie is written feels occasionally stagey, but in a very good way. Yeah. Like in a very, or, all, everything's delivered very organically, but there are a lot of scenes that do feel almost like a stage play. Um, but he obviously had a lot of really good work, good people working under him that really understood the content. Um, I guess he was critical of Marwood's accent. Like he, he got the gig at one point um, and then was kicked off the project because I think he's from Liverpool. Oh, gotcha. um, and, and he found his accent distracting. He found, he found, <laughs> he found distracting. Uh, but I guess this guy was assuming an accent throughout the entire filming um, I didn't notice it, but then again, I don't have a trained ear for that sort of thing. Yeah, no. But um, anyway, our heroes somehow get out of that police station. I don't know how. I think like, I think maybe DUIs uh, back in the day it was just like it was like a ticket, like it, like hey, you're not supposed to be doing that. It's not like the deal it is now, uh, where it's you might as well have been caught smoking meth, stabbing a baby if you get a DUI. Like it's a. Big I was deal. about to say. I was about to say that like today no this would be this would be a movie unto itself probably (laughs) but no they just casually head home um and they have some visitors they just have uh danny and his buddy um he has a nickname i can't remember his name i can't remember his nickname um i'll remember it when we're talking but uh danny and his buddy uh his his afroed friend uh have just taken up residence in in their place um, and again, because of the way Danny delivers his dialogue, I, I found myself checking out a bit and not quite getting all of the content here. But maybe you can help me out that, with that, Kyle. Well, he's just uh, so the guy's just in the bathtub and they're like, OK. And they walk upstairs. Danny's just like, yeah, you said you were going to be out of town. and It's super easy to break into places. So I was just, you know, just going to stay the night for the week or just going to stay the weekend kind of thing. I wasn't ex- I, I don't think he was expecting them back this soon. Uh, but he, he plays it off just fine. It's just like, no big deal. We just broke into your house and was sleeping here. And they're not even upset. Um, but did you see the uh, marmalade sandwich that, uh, or the, the marmalade toast that uh, Gerard makes when they're all down in the living room again? I did not. Oh, the, the orange stuff that he was putting on there? He, like, he just like slap, that was? slaps some butter. I think it was, yeah, it was uh, marmalade, I think. But it's... It's hastily put together, and it, it's kind of like that egg sandwich at the beginning, where it's just like it's just slapped on there, and it's just a piece of white bread that's not even toasted. Well, I mean, he is told whenever he's having like a, a come down moment, like eat some sugar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess that would do the job, maybe. But yeah, he has to bust out because he has to go. I think he has a, a meeting with his agent, or he has like a uh, he has that callback he has to go to, um, and. During this time, uh, Danny is going to roll a super joint. And when he comes back, well, uh, Gerard comes back, and not, uh, he didn't get the part that he auditioned for. He got the lead, which is great yeah. news. Yeah. Great news for him. Uh, Withnell, I think, is too stoned to give a shit. He's not, <laughs> he hasn't smoked pot. I don't think he's smoked pot yet, but he does give him a congratulations. Like, it... it he forced a sincere congratulations, but it, behind his eyes, you can still see that he's like he's jealous. Well, that might explain why he gets as high as he does. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like these are feelings I'd rather not feel in this moment. Yeah, he um, gets but, super high, and, and Gerard takes a few. High. Gerard takes a few hits off of this thing, but uh, 
Yeah, this, I didn't understand what happens in this scene. Uh, this was kind of confusing, what Danny did. So There's a, a lot going on here. Yeah. Um, such that I, I got lost in it. I didn't quite get all the details here. But um, a major thing that happens is that uh, Withnull and Marwood are served an eviction notice. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Danny has anything to do with that, but I think they were also collecting checks from their from their work, or maybe even from the government mm-hmm. that Danny helped himself to. Yeah. Uh, so that that's not exactly cool. Um, so there is a conflict going on here. The only problem is everyone in the room is high. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the conversation is wandering all over the place, so nobody has any real focus. But there, the cinematography and the the acting. Like just body language in particular, and and like tone of line delivery, uh, kind of explains that there's a little bit of a conflict going on here, even if exactly what nature of that is is kind of nebulous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have Danny helping himself to their mail; they're being evicted. Meanwhile, Withnell is literally on the floor laughing, laughing hysterically, yeah. and Marwood keeps yelling at him, like, "Could you shut the fuck up? I'm trying to I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to process things." And then we have a completely out of left field moment where they they have an intense emotional conversation about I think rodents in the apartment. Yeah, they do talk about rodents. Yeah, I, I, but see that that's that's a testament to the ability of the actors to understand and I guess emote the content of the script mm-hmm. because you have a completely absurd thing that just swoops in out of fucking nowhere. But if you look at Marwood's face, it's like somebody stabbed his mom. Yeah. Well, but he's talking about imaginary rodents that Danny may or may not have drugged and killed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and yet everybody in the room is like talking about like it's the most important, saddest thing that's ever happened in their lives. Now, I've smoked pot when I was uh, super hungover before, and it gives me anxiety, like crushing anxiety. So I can imagine him coming down after a couple of days of drinking he's still not like he's still kind of probably having withdrawals and then he just smoked a shit ton of pot so now i think he's overreacting to the situation um but yeah he's getting he says i'm getting the fear and i love how danny coaches him through it he's like it'll pass be seated <laughs> just like just so calmly and he's, he's like talking to him through. he's like you you he's like what you need to do is smoke more mate you need to smoke some more it'll calm you back down and i'm like i don't know if there's any science to support that danny but you know what go for it go for it gerard um i mean he seems like a cagey veteran when it comes to matters yeah. involving drugs <laughs> um but yeah there he has a moment here i think gerard ends up going upstairs and he's like talking with withnell and uh withnell's super baked at this point and Danny has some words of wisdom for him. He's just like, um, you can treat the situation like holding on to a balloon or something. Like you can uh, see how long you can hold on or let go before it's too late. And that was just something he kind of mentions. And it kind of it kind of wraps up the ending of the film. It's like, I guess we can get into the to the end scene now. Yeah, he that dialogue scene kind of ends with a kind of an interesting line i'm not entirely sure what it means but uh he danny uh mentions that uh this glorious decade of the 60s yeah. and i think he refers to it as like the best decade in the history of humankind yeah. is coming to an end and we have failed to paint it black i was like that's clever i don't know what it means but yeah. but i you know i know there you know there's a lot of social upheaval and cultural revolutions going on across the globe Maybe maybe there was some 
objective in all of that, like a universal one. Produced by the Beatles. <clears throat> produced by two of the Beatles. Um, just, yeah, just yeah, saying. yeah. Produced by two of the Beatles, and like I said, there is a Beatles track or two in the film. If I was, <laughs> if I was the most significant band to make uh, to be, you know, a part of the '60s, I might have something to say about the '60s as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, this is this brings us towards the end of the film. Uh, our final scenes. Um, we do see that it it's funny because like in a in a cheaper, not as not as high quality film, this would come across as like kind of hollow and artificial. But uh, we have this like stark transition moment where Marwood is in his bedroom collecting his things and like packing a suitcase, and we see that he's gotten like a haircut. I think Withnell did mention that one of the acting roles he was up for was like a military character, so you'd have to cut his hair in mm-hmm. order to get it. So, like on a visual level, like symbolically, this this almost feels like the I don't know the rambunctious youth being forced to grow up yeah. moment or something, like taking the next leap in their life, kind of. Um, meanwhile, Withnell has done none of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, he like puts on a hat and like puts on his jacket and gets his suitcase together, and he's. I think head to the train station and he's com- he's saying like yeah I gotta go like I'm gonna be late and Withnell insists first on having a drink with him then when that's refused he's like well in that case I'm gonna walk you to the train station and Marwood's still kind of trying to push away but he's like okay fine I can't stop you from walking along with me but um you want to walk us through their final exchange here in the rain yeah uh, um uh Gerard is telling him he's like He's like, oh, you have time for one drink? He's like, no, I don't have time for one drink. And he's very stern, like, not mean about it, but he's stern. He's like, no, I don't have time. He's like, fine, I'll walk you to the train station. I think he even tries to hand him the bottle while they're walking, and he just refuses. Um, And they have this really... It's it's so uncharacteristic for Withnall. They have this really sweet moment between the two of them, and it's kind of implied, like, this is it. Like, I'm going on this train, and we're done. Like we're we're no longer gonna see each other, and I think do they have a hug? I don't even know if they hug. they might have a little bit of a hug, and uh, with uh, he puts his he puts his hand on his shoulder like Marwood touches with no on the shoulder. That's about it. And yeah, and then and Gerard goes off, and I I watched this at a time that it just struck it just really it just really hit me because I've kind of had to do this with friends in my life. It's like I'm. I need to take the next step in my life. You are not willing to take that step at this point, and I have to leave you behind. And I think that's why I pushed you to watch it. Cause I'm like, dude, I'm having like an emotional reaction to this, and like I enjoyed the movie so, like really so far, but then the ending just kind of shocked me. Like, it ends so well, and it's so sad seeing it. But with Noel in the rain is it really gets you because he puts on like he's like quoting Shakespeare, I'm assuming, or uh, some kind of line. And he does it so well, and he's just kind of rehearsing it to, uh, there's like wolves in like a cage on the other side. And the way it's shot, we don't get any shots like this throughout the film where the the camera's like on the other side of the park, and you just see the actor like going over these lines and talking to the wolves basically. But you can see that he it really is probably a great actor, he just can't get over his own hurdles. And he, he just kind of walks, continues walking in the rain, uh, just kind of off. Yeah, um, it's a, it is Shakespeare. It's from Hamlet, Hamlet. apparently. <clears throat> uh, not a play that's especially well known to me, but um, I really do want to see the Kenneth Branagh 
film version of that someday. Uh, the production design on that in particular looked really fucking cool, at least from the from the promotion I remembered when I was a kid. But <clears throat> did he direct Coriolanus? No, okay. that was uh, Ray Fiennes actually. Oh yes, 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 yes. You're right. Sorry. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a excerpt from Hamlet that I believe is delivered by Hamlet, uh, reflecting on like the peaks and valleys, like the beauty and the ugliness of the human condition, and appropriately enough, delivered to non-human people <laughs> like wolves, basically. But um, <clears throat> it's one of the few times we get to see Withnal alone, also. Mm-hmm. And like us, like Kyle had said, it's it's interesting seeing him deliver this, you know, like vibrant performance, and we're reminded that's like, oh yeah, like he he does claim to be an like a professional actor, and he does have it in him. He just can't get his shit together to actually do it professionally. But he he has it within him to summon like true acting talent. Um, but I've never had this particular situation occur in my own life i've never actually had to say goodbye to anyone knowing full well that it was a goodbye um i've left plenty of people behind knowingly which feels terrible um but that that sense of like growing beyond people is always a really ugly depressing feeling it is because like it's it's not for any like wrongdoing on their part it's just like you know we're we're in different places we're yeah yeah we're not the same people we were and it's just better this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's part of what makes the scene really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, in a in a standard you know narrative film or something, this this would have more more math leading up to it. You know, mm-hmm. where you'd have to plant the seeds that this was going to be the conclusion of the film. But we really don't do that. Other other than you know occasionally reminding us the viewer that both of these people are seeking work and one of them is succeeding while the other is, you know, not, and also a little bit jealous of the other. We don't have like a blow up. Like there's no moment where these two characters come into like really awful conflict with each other. Really all that happens is one guy gets a gig and kind of has to, is forced to like clean up and, and relocate. And the other one just can't follow him. Yeah. And that's the end of the relationship as far as we know it. Well, which is, in realistic terms, that's how that shit happens it usually. Does. And Withnell's like when they're trying to leave, like Gerard's trying to leave. He's doing everything in his power to keep him from going. He wants him to stay back with him. He needs that person with him keep, to keep keep up this lifestyle. Yeah, no, it, they're they're very codependent. Mm-hmm. Only only difference is one of them shows a greater willingness to you know actually move like move on, whereas like the other one is kind of content to just be idle and remain where they are like i mean you could view that the cottage expedition is just like running away from life for a few weeks basically yeah Uh, like it was just really interesting to see like the whole time like withnell's a despicable character like he's just a coward and a pain in the ass and he's just a brat basically and you just see this moment like he's actually human in this last moment uh with gerard and it, it yeah i it just really it really it's special. It's a special ending. It's a really good ending. Um, yeah, and even the the blocking where there's no there's no hug, there's no tear shed. Even I mean, although tears in the rain yeah. could be, um, <laughs> but um, it's just that hand on the shoulder, and I shall miss you, and yeah. I shall miss you too. Yeah. Glug glug. <laughs> uh, but just that that look, that wistful look that 
with Noel, like we hold on him just a little longer than you normally would. And it's just Richard E. Grant's face in close up, just looking outside the frame. It's like, yeah, that's the look of somebody who really genuinely is going to miss that person. Do you think he got his shit together after this? Because as I was watching it, I could see like this could have been that that push. Like th- this was kind of like a crossroads. Like this moment's like you've lost the one person that you've been codependent on. You can either try to find somebody else and just keep going down this road, or you can try to do something about it and swallow your pride and take a part that you might not really think that you are you're above. Basically, I like to think he got his shit together and actually went on to do something great. Hmm. I, I probably feel the opposite. Yeah. Um. I, I don't. I didn't really see any hint of anything other than the the farewell that he that any lessons were learned over the past few weeks of this character's life. Mm-hmm. Um, he is being evicted. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, uh, finding a new place to live is something that is going to be an immediate concern of his. Um, in terms of family, both you and I were guessing that both of them are decently well well off mm-hmm. at least in their their family situation not them personally um but really the only evidence we got of that on withnell's part was his uncle who seems like you know if he asked a favor of monty he could you know get it although he did kind of burn his uncle pretty bad with that lie yeah. <laughs> so maybe he's not welcome back in the vegetable house anytime soon well honestly the way uncle monty drinks he'll probably forget about it in about two weeks yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, but I, like I mentioned um, a long time ago on this recording, uh, Marwood, uh, when when the eviction notice is served and when he's headed to the train station, he does remark that his dad is going to come by to pick up all of his shit and, and take care of the car. Uh, so it seems like his immediate family, we've confirmed that like he has at least one family member looking out for him uh, financially or otherwise. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if Withnell's got a good future ahead of him, honestly. Especially if he heads back to that place and Danny's still there. <laughs> well, it's such a sad ending. I have to give it some kind of spin. Like, he's going to take this as motivation. And, but yeah, in reality, he's probably not going to do anything. And it's just... Well, his bloodline will live on and join the Galactic Empire. Yeah. Or the, the, uh, <laughs> not the Galactic Empire, the First Order, I believe. Yeah. No, no, he was an Empire guy. That's right. He was a legacy. Yeah. <laughs> he was a legacy. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, that's all I had but, to say about that. But yeah, I'm glad you pointed out the music during the, the countryside, because um, it's rare, folks at home, that uh, Kyle points out the music in a film. Uh but yeah, th- this movie has sparse has a sparse score. It's only a few moments here and there. It's really lovely piano music mostly, but the end credits yeah. really point out the time period in which it was made, where it's like the rest of the movie, I could totally see someone thinking that this was from the 60s, but there's some like synth work going on. It has almost like dun, a carnival dun, vibe dun, to dun, it. Dun, dun, dun. It sounds like a Danny Elfman <laughs> kind of thing. It almost reminded me of Beetlejuice a bit. Uh, and it plays it plays throughout the, the film a few times, but yeah, I like how the, the ending too, the, the music's kind of upbeat still it made me want to watch the credits if only to see richard e grant walking in the rain with his umbrella Mm -hmm. um but (laughs) it's funny too though because like my my memory colored that a little bit and uh now when i look back on that last shot i insert the the theme of big Mm. in there instead (laughs) (laughs) which is is lovely in its own right man i haven't watched that movie in a long time it's been a long time i like that movie 
Um, Surprisingly, this is a Criterion movie I don't own, but I will. Uh, I will eventually own this. She will be mine. She will be mine. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I hope you go. I go. I hope you go ahead and get that because uh, you, you really do seem to have a special appreciation for this movie. And it's only 107 minutes long. Right? It's not even two hours. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I suppose that's the end of that. Um, look forward to more drinking movie month uh, mm-hmm. episodes. Uh, spoiler alert: I want to say all of your picks for this month are based in the UK. They are. Then that wasn't. That on, is bizarre. Not on purpose. <laughs> yeah, that is truly bizarre. Um, so look forward to that uh, if you're into that sort of thing. But yeah, this was our review of Whithnell and I uh, from 1987, directed by Bruce Robertson, uh, Robinson rather. Um, but in the meantime, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple social media accounts in the form of an Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Google it. Um, but that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Yep. Yeah.